right, there we go. And I think we are now up and running. Hello, everybody. I uh, apologize we didn't have the intro music and such as such today. When I wiped my computer, I didn't realize till one minute ago that those um, aren't saved to my OBS. So it was right into it today. I'm going to have to fix that before next episode. But uh, hello. <laughs> uh, almost, I'm going to be honest with you, forgot to go live today. I was uh, reading ahead in the story and got enthralled. I forgot some stuff and I was having a good time reading it. Uh, but again, slight apologies that I didn't have my intro music and such. Um, I'm gonna While we're talking, I'm fixing it. So I'll have the exit stuff, but uh, excellent. Hey, who's here today? We got Ghost is here. Fuchi, hello, Fuchi. Teresa, always a pleasure. Phantom is here. Hello, Phantom. Ah, Jim and Ash, what's up? Glad to have you. Uh, MP Spotty, I lost my Sky Factory 4 progress because my world got messed up. I hate when that happens, but I'm right there with you. I understand. Sub 2, Mr. Spicy Gaming, hello, and Beast, what up? Be here till I have to go, won't we all? <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming by for while you could. So, um, yeah, today we're going to be jumping into some merge worlds. It's possible that we may get to a minor big ending today. It's possible. Depends on how much I talk, filling in spots and such. Um, but we may get to a little bit of uh, one story's climax, if you will. So, I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> Can't change your user back to Xbox. Man, that sucks. I know what you mean. I, I hate losing stuff. Like, I've, I have only driven everywhere, and uh, losing that would hurt. I've had the same cell phone number for over 20 years. Um, and it's an important number to me for reasons I can't say without giving away what the number is. But um, if I lost my phone number, it would, it would tear me up. Username, about the same. So, all right. So, today, we are uh, continuing with Artemis's and uh, Dandy's side of the stories. That's where we left off. Um, at the end of the previous episode, uh, we had the issue... Or, well, I guess I should check it. I just know to expect a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger? Me? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. It depends. If we can get to the end of this thing... Uh, yeah, there'll probably still be a cliffhanger, but not for this story. Uh, I'm, I'm actually would be very pleased if we got to the end of Artemis' story today, so next week we could jump into the Darsh Mercy story again. But who knows? I may find a way to make a cliffhanger just to be a jerk. I'm that way. <laughs> all right, but uh, all right. So last episode, uh, Draven, Michael, Dandy, and Artemis traveled with uh, six companions from uh, the uh, Quanalu tribe. Uh, the tribals is what I've heard of them. Um, to get a magical artifact from the Cave of Winds, which they received, and it was an amulet that Draven is now wearing, and while wearing it. He's unable to be tracked. Uh, even Menandra can't sense him uh, at that point. And the concept is it will also hide him from his brother. because His brother is a, a pretty powerful dude as well. And uh, I'm sure the brother doesn't know, you know who he's traveling with, but if Draven's been searching for him, he's probably been searching for Draven. Um, Draven is the only other member of their family left, and for the prophecy to be true, the final member becomes a great king. So um, Daedalus wants to kill him. So this will now protect him from being found, which is why on their way back from that, the beastie flying ahead that 
above them was not able to find them, sensed some of the companions, but wasn't sure what it was looking for, uh, but then went on. But sadly, the village had been attacked and many had been killed. Uh, many more managed to escape, it seemed, and were traveling uh, north to one of the other tribal lands. Uh, but instead of going with them, the six tribals uh, agreed to stay with Draven, Artemis, Dandy, and Michael to continue their quest, as that is what they were told by the prophet Chandra, uh, who is missing. Her body was not there. She could be with the tribals that escaped, or not. Nobody knows. So, that is kind of where we left off. They packed up their stuff, and they prepared, and they were heading out. So, um, this next part of the story, um, I'm kind of excited about, because it was a way of working in something I've wanted to share for a while. So, um, once we get into it, there's a part where I'm going to pause for a moment, give you a little information about where they are. It'll make more sense later, but to let you know, there will be a brief commercial in the middle for something else. Um, let me grab this here. All right. All right, there we go. So, they continue traveling east. That's the direction they've been going. Draven has an idea of where Daedalus is, but he doesn't know for sure. Uh, he doesn't really give them a whole lot of information. Um, you know, he clued them in and told the story of his past. That was the other thing that, that's kind of where we ended, where they was kind of giving the story of his history and why Daedalus wants him dead, why he wants to kill Daedalus, the story of his own birth and those things and the world he's from. And that's where they learned that he's not per se a vampire, but perhaps an ancestor to what vampires ended up becoming uh, before branching out into different worlds. Um, so he's born, lives, and will die of old age. He's not eternal. Um, but here on this world, he's even more powerful than he was on his own. And he believes, and he shares this, that uh, part of that is the infusion of the strength he gets from the bloods of the creatures that are on this world. Um, it's not the same as what he would have on the other worlds and such. And he's dealt with that before, because he had, his mother could open daemon portals, which are portals that would allow them to go to different planes or different worlds, and they traveled a lot. He was trained by master, warrior, master soldiers and master trainers on several different worlds growing up, because he's like 800 years old at this point. I don't think I've ever said that, but he does point out he's been alive for 800 years, which for him is next to nothing, but makes him considerably older than Artemis, who... Uh, is like in her, I think, late 100s, close to 200 at this point. Um, and then Dandy and Michael are both in their early to mid-20s. Uh, at this point, if you remember, they were teenagers when this all started. Uh, but everybody's, several years have gone by in the storytelling of all of this, so now they're in their early to mid-20s. And that's not something I've talked a lot about, is how time is affecting everyone. That's something we're going to start seeing here a lot more in, in the story as we especially get to the end of these uh, branches of the story we're in right now. Um, I'm going to be designating how long things are affecting time and how much people are aging, because that is going to have a considerable effect on the story as we get going. Um, sometimes long periods may go by. Sometimes it's almost back-to-back -back between adventures, if you will. Um, but time becomes very important. Uh, so just throwing that out there, you'll see me chatting about that a little bit more in the future. Uh, but before I begin, I would like to say thank you all for coming and allowing me to share this. It is my favorite thing in the world to do, uh, to get to share this story with you all, and I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Um, if you do enjoy this story, please be sure to click like, hit subscribe, hit the little bell for notifications so you know when I'm telling it. Um, and if you use 
Spotify or iTunes, Merged Worlds is also available there as a free audio podcast. Um, the video streams like I have here are all in a playlist on YouTube, so you have multiple different ways to watch or listen if you want to go back and hear any of the previous episodes. Um, if you use Spotify or iTunes, it would be a phenomenal piece of assistance from you if you wouldn't mind going there and following or subscribing to them. Even if you don't listen to it there, I'm not asking you to rate it. I would never ask you to rate something you haven't listened to. Uh, but like every other podcast thing, the more people that listen and sub, the more attention it gets from the actual Spotify or iTunes. And then they advertise it more to people. I just want to get the story in front of as many eyes as I can. I love it. Uh, it's kind of my... I've always viewed it as the thing that will uh, outlive me, hopefully. That's what this is meant to be. Um, so when I am gone, hopefully the story will live on for some people. Be right back. Food's ready. Enjoy grabbing your food, Michael. And thanks for coming. Okay. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. So, um, also excited. We're going to move into the second book today. We're almost done the first binder. I have five. <laughs> That's to give you any idea of what's going on here. Some of the beginning stuff wasn't written. It was lost, remember, so take that into account. Hey, Buffy. Oh, she went the other way. All right. Um, so they continue east, because that's the direction that, you know, that's the direction that they always go. Draven says he knows now from information and stuff that he's received uh, through clues and prophecies and yada yada where the third magical item is. Um, if you'll remember the first magical artifact that they got, because they need three to be able to defeat him, is what the prophecy says, or from that he got from Shastra the prophet. Uh, the first one was a crystal dagger. Right? Crystal dagger that Dandy got, well, they all got, but Dandy primarily got out of what you'd call a rogue's dungeon, a dungeon specifically designed for rogues, uh, which is why she was needed. And this dagger will take on different qualities based on how it absorbs them. So using the command word while sticking in a fire, now it is a blade of fire. Um, while it's a crystal dagger, you can't break it. It's, very, it's artifact. It's sturdy. But it looks like you could just crumble it in your fingers. But it's, it's got flames on it. And it will burn anything it touches. Let a fire. It's great for starting the fire at the beginning of the day. or in the beginning of night when they set camp. But even though the handle and everything's on fire, it does not affect the holder. The, so if Dandy was to hand it to Michael, as that hand passes, Michael's not going to burn into flame. If it's being given, somebody's trying to take it, they, they could catch on fire. Doesn't mean they still won't pry it apart. Once they do and they have it and they are now the new wielder, the blade won't, will, they will no longer catch fire. Fire's not the only thing that'll work, but that's what they have set on it now. And I just wanted to kind of give you a feel for how that works. The second artifact that we got was the... Uh, uh, thing for Draven that people can't sense him now. Uh, Terry says, intent-based magic. Very much so. Thank you very much. Well, not an intelligent magical item. Menander is the only intelligent magic item they've ever come across, not counting the original artifacts, which technically had a god in them. That's different. Uh, Menander is the only intelligent weapon that they've come across, but the magic within these things sometimes are smart enough to adapt to situations based on how they were created. Artifacts especially. Magic items are a little bit more strict sometimes in how they have to use artifacts being so infinitely more powerful and usually one of a kind or one of a small set of like items. Um, artifacts usually are more powerful, have more abilities, uh, and a little bit more leeway. They're designed to work in specific situations. So that's the two they have now. Draven doesn't know what the third artifact is. He just knows where to get it. And he seems unhappy about that. That's Every time he talks about, yes, we're going this way, I know where we're going now. I'm not happy about it. Now, it was assumed 
that the first artifact had Dandy, why he needed Dandy, right? They were all there helping with the puzzles, but Dandy did the, the, the heavy lifting there and getting the dagger. So they've got that. The second one, it's assumed that one of the tribals in Artemis is what was needed, because they're the only ones that could get through the cavern to get the artifact. So the question is, what's the third one? You would think, Michael, right? He said, I need all three of you. Two of them have kind of fit those situations. Dandy specifically, Artemis a little bit. Um, so they assume Michael would be needed in the next one. We will see. Uh, but I'm excited where this goes. Uh, hey, Draven, I finally got my hit film working. It was so easy to use. I was able to upload all today. Thanks for it. You are very welcome. I love hit film. Um, I've been using hit film since I started streaming. Um, it's a phenomenal thing. And again, you can use it for free. I use it free for two years. The free thing is phenomenal. I've recently, earlier this year, went ahead and upgraded, purchased it, and started purchasing. Usually once a month, I'll drop like four or five bucks and buy a new something. So there's a lot of different add-ons you can get for it, just so I can bring more stuff. But you could, you could go your whole life just using the free version. It's such a phenomenal, well-made product. If anybody out there is ever making your own videos, highly recommend Hit Film, all one word. It's an editing program, and it's free. They are not a sponsor. They didn't pay me to say that. I just really like their product. And they have really good tutorials on how to use it. They've got hundreds of those, so very handy. So my hands are a little cold. That's why I keep rubbing them. I've got a heater on over here. It's a little chilly. There's a chance of two or three flakes of snow tomorrow. Uh, the world will come to an end here in Tennessee if that happens, but, you know. So they're traveling. And they travel for a good week and a half. They spend some time. Always like normal. Traveling at night, sleeping during the day. They know that daytime doesn't hurt Draven now. But it does make him a little bit weaker. He's not as comfortable in there, and he's not as fast. He's still faster and stronger than anybody else in there, but he's not at his maximum power in sunlight. Now, if he goes in a cave or underground, he's fine. It's not daytime specifically. It is sunlight. Torchlight, fire doesn't affect him at all, other than, you know, it'll burn him. Fire still burns everybody. Fire sucks, man. Except it also helps cook bacon, so I respect it. So they're traveling. Uh, Draven warns them, week and a half into it, two weeks, that they're approaching where he believes is the next area. So now they're being a little, to be more cautious. So they're going a little slower. He and or Dandy are running point, checking things out. Sometimes he and Dandy will split, go different directions. They're both going east. Sometimes, you know, they kind of have that little of a pattern here. Um, so they, they can cover more territory. Draven's fast, but Dandy is also very good at scouting. Bacon, Phantom, you understand. <laughs> so, they're traveling along. Um, as they're going, they're reaching a, the day that stuff happens. I'm not going to say how many days. Close to two weeks. As they're getting there, eventually, they're, they're, Draven shows up, and he's just kind of standing there waiting for them. And he looks very unhappy. Dandy had returned to the group already. And at this point, they're just traveling through some light woods and then open plains. It's like not a big thick forest. Sometimes they'll be in some trees, then they won't be in trees for an hour, then they will. Minor rolling hills. Very nice area, streams. Uh, it would be a very good area to build and live. Not that they're going to do that, but it, it just happens to be very wide open space that's not being used. That would really be good real estate um, for somebody who wanted to build a town or a village like the tribal, something like that. Nobody does. I'm just describing what it looks like. They catch up to Draven, who's standing under a tree. It's getting near late afternoon at this point. And uh, I'd say about five or six in the afternoon. 
right? So got a few hours before dark time. Dark time is probably about 9 p.m. at this current point. And where they are right now, it is uh, spring. Because you'll remember that the way Merged World works, they don't all have the same seasons. You could be in spring, walk 10 feet, be in winter, walk 10 feet, be in spring, walk 10 feet, be in a desert in the middle of summer. Whatever the world's environment was maintains the same even on the new world. They do not mash together. So if it was summer there, their regular seasons are going to progress in that section. Nothing changes that. It's one of the chaotic parts. Ordered chaotic parts, if you remember Omniana said. We want to create a world of perfectly ordered chaos. So, Draven's like, we have about reached our destination, but I can travel with you no further. This comes a bit of a surprise and a bit of a worry to the party. Because that leaves... I mean, that's still nine people. you got your six tribals, although one of them is, you know, little Tevin, one-hit Tevin, who's now a cleric, remember? He became a, a... He's a level one cleric. He's probably got, like, one healing spell. And um, I'm going to touch on this. I think what I'm about to say has been used in some of the more recent versions of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, but the way I've played it, there's always some basic spells that all clerics get, and there's some basic spells that all wizards get. They don't count as their one spell. Um, I have a short list of them, and you get those automatically. You can cast them a certain amount of times per day, depending what those are. They don't count. I believe they do that now in 5th edition. As again, I've always played 2nd, and 2nd edition wasn't set up that way. Um, so that'll be nice. Moving into 5th, they've already got, I think, some stuff designed like that. But he has his one good healing spell, but he does have the little basic spells that a beginning, even a beginning cleric would have as they're learning. Uh, and he's a quick learn. That's important. He's a quick learn. Artemis is very happy with that. It helps that he's getting one-on-one -on -one teaching uh, in sometimes real situations. They're fighting something. He's got to throw a heel down. He gets to learn. He's not sitting in a classroom learning about it and then trying it years later. Um, and he also brings with him just some of the basic knowledge of tribal healing in medicine using herbs and such. So he has his character technically has perks in herbalism and healing and such because that's really what they use. They don't have healers and clerics in their tribes. So um, all the tribals have some form of that. And he, has a, he, he just happens to have a natural boost in that because of his makeup. So Draven explains that a short distance, but maybe another hour or two's walk to the east, is a castle. A large castle. With what appears to be a relatively small town or medium-sized town around it. He said he was able to get a look at it from a distance, but as he was trying to get closer, he found he could not. There is some type of ward or spell or magical force that keeps him from going past a certain point. Um, as he tries to move through that, he immediately starts feeling intense pain, repulsion, it just... Everything in the world in his mind screaming, get out of here, get out of here. It's like, he goes, I could, even with his training and, uh, you know, maintaining you know, smoothness and such, it's just immediately, one step, and it's just like all of it's chaotic. And he has to, he goes, I can't get in there. He goes, I can only hope that you can, because I have no doubt that what we're looking for is in there. Dandy asks, do you know what it is we're looking for? And he says, no. Um, that is not information. That's all I know, other than... Searching for the light. What do you mean searching for the light? He goes, I, that's all I was told, searching for the light. So he goes, you know, the light being the primary 
cleric or uh, clerical god. Goddess of light is the primary god of good. Um, maybe it's something along those lines. Not sure. So he says, at this point, I can't go with you. So you're going to have to go in there, find it, figure out that's what it is, and do whatever it takes to get it, and then get back out. He goes, if you're running from the city wall, I would say that you have to probably run for 15 to 20 minutes straight to get where I can meet you. Um, if you can get it and get back to me, you can all climb in the chest of holding, and then I can get us out of here really, really fast. Because Draven's fast, and he won't have to wait on everybody. And they've done that before, but they try not to, because remember, the chest of holding, which turns into a chest, you can climb into it, big room inside, magical. It can shrink, and you can be inside. It still only has a certain amount of air in it. The more people inside, the least, uh, the lower amount of time you can keep it closed, or they will eventually suffocate. You can open it, leave it open for five rounds, the air will refill, put it, close it, and keep on going. Um, and they've used it that way in the past, but the, uh, the tribals really don't like it. A little bit of claustrophobia. They've never really had to deal with stuff like that. But they understand in this situation they need to do that. Draven says, I will be watching, because there's some vantage, there's some high forests to the south of it, with some, he goes, exceptionally high trees. Oddly, he goes, they don't look like they're from the same world this castle was. It's almost like a straight line of these trees that are exceptionally large. I will climb up into one of those so that I can see if you're running in any direction. If you can, try to continue to the east. That'd be east for you guys. Try to continue to the east. That's the direction we're going. If I do have to book it, I'd like to book in the direction we're, we're going. But I will watch whatever direction it is. I will be to the south. If you go north, I may not be able to see you. You may have to try to run yourself. So... He goes, I don't know what the situation is going to be in there. I have no way to prepare you for this, but I have faith in you all. You all have been exceptional, and I know I can trust you. And even looks at Michael and kind of nods like, listen, I even trust you, and you don't like me. I know you're capable of this, and I'm sorry that we're in this situation. But with this last item, this last artifact, we can go and finish this, finally. And you all can get back home. And I, he goes, and I want that. I want to get you back home. I am so sorry that you've been pulled into this. Um... If my need was not so great and I did not have to have you here, I would have never brought you into this situation. Uh, you guys have been amazing in this. Um, but it is what it is. I do need you. We're here now. Let's do the best we can and get it over with so I can get you all home. And Michael and, and them are like, okay, nodding. It's the first time Draven's really talked like this. Um, he's been a little sour the last week and a half. And you can only assume it's because of the... Uh, how he's been... They can only assume it's because of the attack on the tribals. These are people that... Closest he's had to a family in a long time. He's been there helping them. They've been helping him for sure. And he knows that they all died, all the ones that did, because of him and his thing with his brother. Uh, they may have accepted that risk, but it doesn't make him feel any less to blame. So that weighs very heavy on Draven. Draven wishes them well, and he starts booking it around the south, kind of bordering the edge. He can, you know, he moves into the left. He goes, whoop, can't go in there. He knows where this border is. And even as they're traveling, they can start to see just these massive trees. And it's like a straight line of them. It's like someone took a plate and set it on these giant trees. Solid line. Except it's not all the way around. It's just half of it. Like a smile. And that's pretty much what happened. The, where the kingdom they're going to, its world chunked in there. Hello, Ezra. Good day, good day. So. They travel. It's not too long before they start to see in the distance, of course, the spire of this castle. It's an incredibly tall castle, and it's got a large wall around it. But even before they get to that, 
they can see just this high, majestic, almost spirally tower that looks almost elven-like in its design. It's incredibly beautiful. And it up top is, is actually glowing. It's almost like a source of light, to which they're like, hmm, maybe, hmm, you know. Because um, they're keeping an eye out for that light. That could be it. And then soon after that, as they're getting closer, they can see the walls, and they can see homes and such around the keep. Now, the tower is in the center of this, but it's much, much, much bigger, right? Uh, what are you trying to get? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot that was even on there. Let me kill that. Um, actually, we're not sure. The next thing we talked about doing for a donation goal, just for the pure humor of it, well, and the coolness of it, is we talked about uh, me getting the ODG symbol tattooed for a little bit of uh, dedication to the channel. Not sure. We're still thinking. I forgot that was on there. I'm sorry. I tried to tried to remove that off there while we figured out what was going on. But I thought about getting the actual ODG symbol tattooed here on my chest over my heart. Um, so that's that I think might be kind of cool. But we'll see. As they're approaching these homes and such, uh, businesses, it's a small town, much like the town that's building in Serenity. As they're getting close to it, before they get to these homes, which have lights on, there's people living in them, they pass older homes. Many that have fallen down, look burned, destroyed, rubble. And as they're getting closer to these new buildings, a lot of them look uh, either new or um, rebuilt. So it looks like there's been damage here, but it's been rebuilt. The walls themselves show black marks and such on them where fire or something have hit them. And there's parts of the wall that you can tell have been very recently within the past year rebuilt because the stone looks a uh, slightly different shade or color um, by a little bit. They try to still make it nice, but definitely it's a newer spot. You have a heart attack and you're like, yeah, that'd be my luck. They'd cut right into it, right? Start my life. <laughs> uh, if I had the tattoo in my heart, they'd just cut right into it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, so as they're traveling in, there's people and as always... Artemis is a golden ticket. And this has been since the beginning of all these adventures started. A cleric of the light, a cleric of healing. These are probably the most beloved of all clerics because they're just innately good. They're healing. Who doesn't want a healer, right? There's always somebody with an injury or sickness somewhere. Who doesn't want a healer? And then the cleric of light is just the god of good. So that works. Uh, next to that would be probably the god of uh, clerics of the god of the feast and harvest because they are really good at bringing good mojo to your crops and such. So they're, they're pretty popular as well. But as they're going in, they see people literally are welcoming them. Oh, wow, hi, so on and so forth. And interesting, things of that nature. Uh, if I was ever to play D&D, I would be the school nurse. Nice. <laughs> but they, uh, they continue in and people are kind of waving and a little... Normally, you know, they're still always a little bit nervous when people they don't see come walking in. The tribals, looking as they do, um, very, very, you know, they stand out. Michael and Dandy, dressed kind of in black. Dandy's a kender. That always makes people nervous. But um, Michael and his spear, he's not menandered out right now, so his hair is his normal black color. It's not glowing. He's not purple eyes or anything like that. But you can tell these guys look like warriors. So six warriors plus two more warriors plus an Artemis and little Tevin. Two clerics of healing. That's awesome. That's two clerics of healing. Even though Tevin's stuff doesn't look as much like a healer, he's still got the holy symbol and people recognize that. So, so on and so forth. 
And as they're coming in, they talk to just several general people. Some city guards are walking around and so on. They're, you know, saying hi and things. And, and a couple city guards are like, welcome to the city. Blah, blah, blah. The Kingdom of Darkmoor. D-A-R-K-M-O-O-R-E. All one word. Welcome to the Kingdom of Darkmoor. My lady. They always address Artemis first. Could you, most people can tell a cleric is a higher rank based on the sigils and runes and such on the hems of their clothes. Um, that's a common thing. Even if you're not sure you're from a different world, you don't speak the language, you can tell a high rank versus a low rank. Uh, and Ariana says, uh, Hello, how are you? I love your videos. They've been helping me a lot recently on Sky Factory 4. Well, I'm very well, thank you very much. And I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. So the guards are like, how can we be of assistance? And they're like, well, um, we are traveling through. And they had this story prepped ahead of time. We are traveling through uh, to a destination in the east, though we know not how far it is. We're searching for a lost home. And everybody nods their head because the merge happened. That's a common story. Um, and as we are traveling that direction, we come across your kingdom. And uh, uh, I guess we're looking for an inn, maybe a place to stay. And the guard they're talking to goes, well, that totally makes sense, but please, before you go to an inn, allow me to escort you to the temple. Before you take place to the inn, please, let me take you to the temple and see if they can arrange a place for you. Artemis and looking at the temple, oh, a temple. How handy. Yes, that would be wonderful if you don't mind. So the city guard leads them to the, the wall and to the gates that would enter in, and you notice that the, it's pretty well guarded. You know, they're not like on black, scary armor. They look like everybody waves and salutes Artemis and says they go by. Everybody likes the clerics. And once they enter in, they, or they get to the gate, this guard talks to a couple of the guards. The guard's like, oh, yes, of course. And they get ushered through very quickly. Again, Artemis is that golden ticket. And Tevin's like a quarter of a golden ticket at this point. So they enter inside the kingdom proper. Now, the kingdom proper is a big castle that comes up into the spire. And then there are four other buildings. And one of those buildings is a temple. The building, one of them is, is a military barracks. Uh, the other two are other things we'll learn about later. But one of them is clearly a temple. And they can see that it's a temple of the light. It's a good temple. So, you know, they get in there and they're like, oh God, it's an evil temple. We've been tricked. It's not. It is clearly a good temple. In good condition. In fact, other than the tower itself, next to everything else they've seen, it seems to be in the best condition. Like, there's no real signs of damage or anything or rebuild to it. It looks pretty good. Some of the ground around it looks like they've been replanting flowers and things of that nature. But overall, the building's in good shape. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Figolu, for the sub. I appreciate that. So, the, uh, the, the guard whose name is Ralph. He didn't have a name. I'm just going to say that. He doesn't really have a name. But he escorts them there. Uh, when they arrive at the uh, temple, as normal, you would expect, you see there's a little bit, uh, there's a couple Templars there. Um, the Templars seem a bit young. Uh, they're probably late teens, early 20s, but they're dressed as Templars of the Light, as you would expect to find at a temple. Uh, there are two of them, and upon seeing the clerics, they're very excited and, like, you know, very, like, trying to look, look official kind of thing. And uh, Ralph, whatever, talks to them, and they're like, yes, please. And one of them goes inside the temple. Um, it's only a minute or two later before you hear footsteps come running. The doors open up, and they come, and come out. And coming out is a gentleman who's probably in his late, you know, let's just say mid-30s. Um, and he is wearing 
the cleric garb and the holy thing of a cleric of the light. Um, he's a little out of breath because he was, he was running and the other Templars there with him. Um, and he just has a huge like grin on his face, but also looks a bit nervous. And he walks out and he comes out and he's like, oh my goodness, I, I, am, I had no idea you were coming. He's like, it is such an honor to have you here. Um, please, will you come in, please allow me to come inside, rest, food, drink, things. I'm like, okay, thank you. And, and they're escorted in and he, who he already yelled to somebody, there's a bit of a turmoil. Somebody's putting stuff together and they come into a nice room where there's, um, you know, like couches and place you could sit, like a waiting room, ready room kind of thing. And they're in there and, and some more, a couple uh, clerics of the light come in and they are, uh, you could tell from looking at them, very early, early ranks as well. Not much more than Tevin is. This gentleman, who introduces himself as, let me give you his exact name, uh, Damon Lightwind, says that he is the head cleric of the kingdom of Darkmoor. Um, the temple's a pretty good-sized temple. It's been there a while, right? This is actually a little bit of a surprise to Artemis, because she can also tell that normally of a temple of this size, there'd be someone a little bit higher rank than... Uh, Damon running it, but, you know, she doesn't say anything, but it's just something she notices very quickly. Um, and he says, please, what can I do for you? What brings you here? Um, they share the same story with Damon as they told everyone else. We came here, we're traveling, there's a temple far, far to the east we're seeking out. Uh, these are, people are escorting me as my guides and my protection. Damon looks at them like, really? I mean... They look slightly capable, but it's a dangerous world out there. But okay, I'm not going to judge you. Um, it says, we're traveling through. We happened to come across. We did not, to be honest with you, know this was here. But once we saw and heard there was a temple, uh, we knew we had to at least come by and pay our respects. And, and Damon's got a huge smile. It's like, well, we are honored to have you. It is rare that we get um, anyone traveling through this area, let alone um, you know, clerics of such stature. Because he can tell, again, elven cleric, that's even... A rank above regular human. When you when you think about the grand scale, she's been a cleric a long time, and she's pretty high ranked. She's a head cleric herself, uh, but her rank and such by the runes and such, he can see she well outranks him. Um, he goes, if there's anything we you need, supplies, you need a place to stay, the temple would be honored if you'd allow us to help provide that. And Artemis is like, actually, yes, that would be wonderful. Um, we were going to look to get an inn, but I'll admit it has been a long, long journey, and it has been a long time since we've got to rest on holy ground, which technically this is, and clerics can sense that. You know, a cleric of good in a good temple will feel that lighting that of, of their step. They will feel that healingness coming from the, the temple itself as a blessed place. Same as if they were to walk into a temple of evil, it's going to make them uncomfortable, maybe even weigh down on them such, and vice versa, depending on the, the, the alignment of that cleric. Evil walking into a good, per se. And he goes, a good night's rest. Is there a place where uh, we could stay? And I know there's a lot of us. I, we don't want to put you out. He's like, no, we've got plenty of empty rooms. Which, he then he takes it back and goes, we have plenty of space. We have many, many rooms that, that would be available to you. Um, all of you could stay here quite comfortably. Um, so yes, I will have rooms set for you. But if you will, um, not only, of course, do I wish to pay my respect, it would be a great honor if I could introduce you to the king himself. Um, king Darkmoor, again, we rarely get this many visitors come through. Again, one of your stature. Um, I'm sure he would also be honored to meet with you as well. May I have permission to advise him that you are here and ask permission to escort you to the castle. Um, Artemis is like, that would be awesome. Yes, thank you. That would be great. Because again, they saw that light up there, so they're thinking, hmm, 
maybe that's what we're looking for. We need to get into there. Let's go in this way. Um, they said, well, yes, I'll send someone immediately. Um, I'll have someone also take you to some rooms. Uh, they're kept relatively ready. Uh, we'll take you to some rooms, give you some time to wash up. We'll have fresh water and such bring there. Is there anything special that you would like? Anything else that we can bring you? And Artemis thinks for a moment and goes, yes, there is one thing. This young man, whose name is Tevin, has just recently joined the clock, clear, whatever the term is, recently joined me on this journey, has converted to be not, not only a, a, a valid worshiper of my Lord Tavian, um, but one of his disciples accepted by the Lord himself. And, you know, you know that's a big smile from uh, Damon looking at him. He says, oh, it, what a wonderful thing to hear. That is great to have someone else come into the fold. Good news. She goes, she goes, now, while this happened on the trip, of course, as you can see, I didn't quite have the trappings to give him um, that would kind of show off his new vocation. I don't have robes, basically, is what she's saying. And he's like, say no more. We have multiple things of different cuts and such. Um, if We will make sure that we get him something that fits him comfortable and at the same time shows great respect uh, towards his new calling. And Artemis thanks that. Because she, she did want to get the boy some robes. When you think about that, your holy symbol and your robes when you're a cleric, that's kind of your thing. I mean, that's, that's your symbol. That shows off what you are. It's a, it's a point of pride to say, hey, this is me. When your robe now has a new emblem or sigil embled in there, it's just like somebody wearing a military with a new rank. And like, I know I'm a captain now. It's the same thing. It's, it's a source of pride that not only have I worked hard to get this, but literally a god has approved this. A deity has said, yes, I deserve to have this. Um, and is granting me powers and spells as such. Um, so that's a sign of, of, of important business. So definitely she wants to make sure Tevin has that. He deserves to feel that way. She remembers, even though it was a long time ago, how it felt for her. She wants to give the boy the same thing. And again, I say boy. He's a young man. But like I said, he's like, what, 11, I said at this point? 11, 12? He's a little guy. I may be slightly inconsistent on his age because I don't remember exactly. But it was young. Soon... A couple of young clerics show up, knocking on their doors, advising them that the, the king would love to meet them, and as such is preparing a meal. Now, by this point, the sun is going down. Relatively dark. The top of that keep is glowing pretty, pretty nicely. Um, and you can see that the, the castle itself is well lit, even for a castle. Like, it's, it's much more lit than you'd normally find it. And there's just as many guards on the wall day and night, uh, day and night. There's, there's, it's well guarded. And you, thinking back, you're like, you know, there was a good, decent-sized town building up there, but there was actually quite a few more guards than you'd normally see for a town that small. And that's something that Dandy and Michael pick up on and kind of talk to themselves. They don't really have a chance to talk to Artemis alone because they are given separate rooms. Um, and so on. So, they're taken into the castle. And it is there that they are introduced to King Thomas Darkmoor. So if you will, as usual, I have photographs of actors that play these characters, uh, who I designed them after, okay? So we're going to start with Damon. So there's Father Damon Lightwind, and I apologize, I can't remember his name, but I, I've seen this guy in several things, and I've always liked him as acting. I really like his attitude, and he has that kind of thing about him. So that's, I, if you know his name, throw it at me, because I'd love to hear it. But that is Father Damon. And that is King Darkmoor. Now, I am a huge fan of that guy. Um, 
Uh, yes, so on our right we have our priest, Father Damon Lightwind, and then we have King Thomas on the left. Uh, and Tim Thomas, uh, Tim is not that much older. They, they appear to be roughly approximate in age. Um, and he thanks them and invites them into a, a room, which is was very probably a pretty large, it's a pretty large banquet room that would be used for, um, I'm going to go ahead and move these pictures now. Uh, <laughs> Pretty big banquet room, but at this point, there's just a large kind of table set in the center where they can eat, and a large amount of food is already being prepared. Now, it's not like a turkey and a ham. They didn't have that much time to cook. They didn't know these many people were coming. But there are things there, like fruits, meats, cheeses, things like that. Um, so there's a, a very good meal, wine, and so on. Um, and they're taken in, introduced to the king. He welcomes them. Everybody sits down at the table, begins to eat and chat. Once again, they give their story. We're passing through, looking for a temple that's far to the east. Didn't realize this was here until we came across your kingdom. And then um, ha decided we'd stop in and we heard there was a temple. We were going to originally cut through the trees to the south. As soon as they say that, both the Damon and the king are like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You do not want to go into the forest. And they're like, okay, is it? Cursed lands? What is it? He goes, he goes, no. Forest goblins. And they're like, okay, forest goblins. I'm not familiar with the term, Michael says. Um, but we fought goblins, I'll be honest, many times. He goes, forest goblins are not like the goblins you are aware of. They are almost animalistic. And they're incredibly fast. And they climb through the trees. And there are thousands of them. But they will not leave the woods. They will not leave the woods for any reason. And I will say on a journey long ago, we had to come through there and barely escape with our lives in several situations. Um, so no, it, it is, we do not go into the woods. We do not recommend you go the way. North, east, west, perfectly fine. Just do not enter those woods under any circumstances. It's almost certain death. <clears throat> They ask, is, were these woods part of your world, or were they from a different world from the Merge? And he goes, oh, no, they were not there originally. And, of course, Dandy being there, oh, so you said you traveled through them, then? Were you just looking around? You know? And he says, no. He goes, to be honest with you, uh, when the Merge happened, he points at Damon, he goes, we weren't here. He goes, we were actually away. You must understand that I'm not the eldest son. I should not be king. But I do come from a long line of mages. He's a wizard. And you could probably, I've got to say that, they could, they could tell that from his clothing. It's not just king robes, but he's clearly a mage as well. He goes, my family for generations have been the keepers and protectors of these lands, um, as well as magic users specified in the arts of making magical items and artifacts. I was away another town, so on and so forth. It took us a year or two to find out the kingdom had actually come through the merge, and once we did, Damon and I, he points at Damon, who says, he goes, Damon's been my best friend since my youth, and we were traveling together, because his father was the head cleric at the time. We uh, did our best to, to get here as quickly as we could. Um, traveling through those woods was a nightmare experience, um, and it had it not been for you know, his magic combined with my own, I, I doubt we would have ever made it. Uh, we lost several um, allies at that time, although uh, several others made it through and uh, helped us take back the castle. They're like, 
take back the castle. Dandy says, who took it from you? And Damon kind of, you know, looks a little nervous and Darkmoor kind of wipes his mouth down. He says, he goes, he goes, sadly, while I was away, our kingdom was attacked by a source of powerful evil. And my father and my siblings and a large amount of our folks of our city were killed and what did survive was forced to run away. Uh, this force of evil wanted access to the magic items and artifacts that we have amassed and created over these years. Because they don't just make them, they collect them too. Um, and while he was able to, and his forces, of beasts and goblins and hobgoblins and whatever other creatures he could summon, this force of evil, this vampiric beast... Um, came into the castle and slaughtered and took it over. It was a battle, but they were outnumbered. But the, this creature was unable to access the vault. The vault's protections being so powerful that only myself or one of my kin have the ability to enter it. Even Damon cannot, unless I was to allow it. So the beast continued to try to break in. Once we returned, um, our allies, who were formidable, themselves, helped us take back the castle um, and get me up to the where we were able to access the artifacts and I was able to use one to fight back against this creature and protect our lands from it. Had my father known what this was, what, what this was going to be, I'm sure he could have done the same, but sadly the attack came quickly and they did not know quite what they were dealing with. Uh, my allies and I, unfortunately, had to learn the hard way ourselves. Now comes that brief commercial I was telling you about earlier. The story of Thomas Darkmoor is in itself another Dungeons & Dragons adventure that I ran. Different group of people took place on Merged World. They were Damon and they were uh, Thomas. And there were some other people playing. Those were the other allies and NPCs I was talking about. And the taking back of the castle was the adventure that they played. Uh, it lasted probably about six or eight months. I was running it the same time I was running the other one, um, but I was running it well before they're at this point. And I knew I wanted to work this in and link these stories in the future. So the people who were playing this group had no idea what I, that their characters and such were going to become NPCs. Because sadly, soon after that, that group kind of disbanded. Two people end up moving away, uh, a married couple. And that was two-thirds of the group. So uh, they end up becoming NPCs, and I've worked them into the story. But the story of King Thomas Darkmoor uh, was actually a really good adventure that went through that I may share sometime if anybody wants to hear it. But uh, it was a very cool adventure, um, and I enjoyed playing it. So this is, again, one of those spots where I've said that Merged Worlds is something I've been playing across multiple groups, multiple generations. Uh, this is an example of that, where another group's story is still part of this while not still part of the primary story. So I wanted to share that. Um, but yes. From that point, it's just a chatter of things that are going on, so on and so forth. Um, Damon, of course, asking a lot of questions of uh, Artemis specifically. He doesn't ask as much as Tevin because he knows he's new. But Artemis, what temple are you from? Uh, what have you learned and such since the merge? He goes, we're pretty kind of in the middle of nowhere here. We have had some contact with some of the other... Uh, Mage organizations have reached out to King Thomas, of course, because 
Um, King Thomas, again, relatively powerful at this point. He's pretty high level because this is a couple years after their adventure and he's been here training and such and very, very talented at creating items and artifacts. So he's been uh, reached out to by Towers asking, hey, we'd love to have you join up part of the mage group. And he's like, I'm good, thanks. He's like, friendly? Yes. Need assistance? Sure. But I'm I'm a king and I, I would not feel right joining an organization that I may have to be asked to put before my kingdom. I can't do that. My kingdom is everything. And it really is. So, they're chatting there. And as they're chatting, you know, they're talking about that. And Dandy's like, you know, we've seen a lot of magical item artifacts too. We've traveled around a lot. And everybody else starts looking a little nervous in the group. Not Damon, but everybody in the party like, okay, what are you going to talk about? And King Darkmoor goes, yes. He goes, I have to say, I've been interested in that spear since I first saw it. Because Menandra is an artifact of pretty high power, and a dude of this nature is going to notice that right out of the gate. That's not a regular spear. And uh, he goes, I he goes, I understand it's probably important to you, but I have to ask: Is it something you'd be willing to part with? And Michael, Michael gives a polite but firm uh, smile and says, "I apologize, but no, she is not for sale." Thomas goes, ah, an intelligent artifact. Understandable, then. Friendships can be bonded between many different types of beings, and I can understand that she's clearly important to you. But I appreciate you bringing her in here and just letting me kind of see her. Because, again, he's not trying to take it. He's got magic items and artifacts, but they're also collectors. It's at this point that Artemis says, this, you know, you fighting the thing and such and talking about artifacts... The artifact you used, that basically, I mean, we're so sorry for the loss of your family, and so many people were taken out, yet whatever artifact you were able to get a hold on was able to knock back and save you from this vampire-type creature. It must be a powerful artifact as well. And Damon nods, goes, yes, yes, the Sunstone is an, an incredibly powerful artifact. And uh, he goes, ah. And then... <laughs> Darkmoor's like, like, you probably shouldn't be talking about that. But he doesn't interrupt him. It's important. He goes, Sunstone. She goes, I've never heard of it. He goes, he goes, yes, it was something that was entrusted to the kingdom many, many generations ago. A powerful clerical item. This intrigues everybody. A clerical item, you say? I would have thought it'd be something in this vault of items and artifacts. He goes, he goes, alas, no, there is an artifact up there that protects us from the being ever coming uh, into these lands again, as long as he maintains the spell at great personal cost, I must say to the king. He was like, it's worth it for my people. He goes, yes, yes. He goes, but this artifact is actually um, entrusted to the temple. It's protected on holy lands. The only other place in the entire kingdom a beast of that nature could, got, could not enter. Warded as it is as well. It was actually I that had to use it against him being an artifact of the light. And that right there is the tagline. An artifact of the light, which is the exact thing Draven said they're looking for. It's an artifact of the light. That's all I know. And everybody's trying to not look at each other like, mm-hmm. You know, they're, trying, they're like, 
interesting. From that point on, the conversation moves into other things where they've traveled, uh, that they're from the land of serenity, things of that nature, and so on and so forth. He says, I've not heard of it, but again, there's so many places in this world that he goes, I don't leave the kingdom since I got back. My job here is to protect it, but uh, very interesting. It sounds like you have a pretty nice place. They talk about their friends, Mercy and Darsh, stuff that they can talk honestly and openly about without having to worry about giving away something, and uh, they do so. But after the meal, and it gets late, and uh, Darkmore's finally like, well, I can see it is getting late, and you've traveled far, and are looking forward to a good night's rest. I shall keep you no longer, but um, I will definitely, if you'd like to come back in the morning, uh, if you'd like to, welcome to stay here, here in my kingdom as long as you'd like, but if you do need to leave, uh, please at least come by in the morning, Have a, I will prepare a good meal, and arrange any supplies you may need for your trip. It is our honor to help uh, a fellow cleric of Damon's here. Damon's like, oh yeah, totally. Because again, Damon's very excited to have a cleric as powerful here. They thank them, and Damon escorts them back to the temple. Uh, there's no guards or anything with them at that point. Inside the keep itself is probably one of the safest places in the frickin' world at this point uh, <laughs> for them to be safe from an evil. And if you're wondering, is the evil vampiric thing the thing they're looking after? Yes, I tied that story in long before these characters even knew who that was. I've always known who that was going to be. Turn my heater down a little bit. Um, so they they can be safe here. So Damon escorts, and again, chatting. Because again, he doesn't get to talk to a lot of clerics. It's become known through these stories that um, a lot of the people that are guards and such now are younger people, people that have, you know, like them traveling from the merge, come across this place, finding a new place to live. Um, same with the clerics, young clerics and such, people that Damon is training into the light, is pulling in or training in and such, uh, because pretty much all the clerics and everything was killed were killed as well. So um, that's why there's so many young folks here, younger, newer looking people, because really they're teaching them, they're training them and such, um, especially with the clerics. Um, and King Darkmore is incredibly wealthy. So hiring good guards and making sure training and they have good gear, very easy for him to do. This was a very wealthy uh, keep that any evil thing could have really got rich off this, but that's not what that guy was looking for. You can imagine a thing evil finds out there's a vault full of magic items and artifacts. Anybody'd want to get into that. That's the glowy thing in the top of the tower. Uh, but it is incredibly well defended. They get back to the. They get back there, and um, everybody kind of goes to their rooms, uh, except for Damon and Artemis, who they take a little bit of time to just chat themselves in private. Um, Damon tells about the state of the temple, what they're working, trying to rebuild, uh, the clerics and such of that nature. Artemis says that she understands. She was much the same way when they built the temple in Artemis, uh, the temple in Serenity. Uh, there were only a few clerics there, but over time. You know, by working hard and making it known it was a place of welcome, that more and more people were attracted. And you could tell Damon is like, that's what I'm trying to do here, too. You know, I mean, I want people to know this is a place where they're going to be safe, where they'll, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Artemis genuinely likes Damon. Genuinely likes him. That's why she feels so bad about what's probably going to happen here. But eventually she manages to bring it around to, again, the Sunstone. And she says, I must say, I've, I've never heard of something like the Sunstone. It's something you said that you used. Because it's rare that I come across artifacts that would be wielded by us, as most of them are created and used by mages. And Damon says, oh, I understand. I'm in a kingdom that specialized in that. My father was a head cleric, and he was best friends with the previous king, and so on and so forth. 
so I've, you know, my, my family's lived here being the holy side of this kingdom for generations as well. And he asked, would you like to see it? Hermes, doing her very best to keep just a straight face, says, that would be fine, sure, yeah, okay. He is really, really trying to win over Artemis here. So he, they ride, he walks her down a room and through the, the actual temple proper, which is the big temple room, big, uh, uh, what do you call them, tapestries and stuff hanging down that you can walk behind. So that way people who are being preached to in the pews, you've got a place you can walk without walking through the noises so you can go around the outside with the pillars. It's usually where the Templars would stand. You go in, in the back, there's some more curtains behind where the he would stand up there and preach to them. And there's rooms in the back there, things like kitchens and such. But there's a stairway there that with a locked door and he takes out a key and he unlocks it and they go down into this room. Uh, it's kind of dusty. Clearly no one's been in here in a little while. Probably at least a month or so. Not horribly bad. He checks on it regularly. But uh, they walk into a room, and sure enough, it's literally a, a rock. It's about this big. And it's kind of pointed at the top. It's not perfectly cut. It's kind of like a gem, but it's, it's kind of like jaggedy. It's and such, and little points sticking out. Um, but you could hold it in one hand like this if you wanted to. Um, and it is like a yellowish-white, and it's kind of... So what I'm like, we're scintillating. It's kind of like the, the colors will shift a little bit, almost like rainbowish and such. But it's literally floating in the middle of the room. Looking down, she can see wards of protection around it. She's familiar with those spells itself. And it's literally just floating there in the middle of this ward of protection. Um, she doesn't ask to touch it. She sees the wards there. She understands that. She's like, she goes, truly a magnificent artifact. Thank you for showing it to me. It's definitely something I'll... You know, share, not that you guys have it, but, you know, we'll talk about, you know, powerful defenses and a, a temple with, you know, that type of protection definitely be a benefit to uh, the other temples. You know, and she, during the conversation, they even talked a little bit about, like, are you connected with any other temples? And he says, no, not really. And she talks about Paxawal. And she's like, Paxawal is a great temple there, and we have one. And there's one in um, Arduel. And, you know, these are far to the west of you, but um, very welcoming Definitely, I'll let them know and see if we can send some type of word out here and you know, find some way to you know, bring you into the fold, per se. He's definitely interested in that. So he says that on the original world they were in, they had that kind of arrangement with other cities and other temples, but here they've just been very isolated. And since they don't get to do a lot of traveling, because they're here making sure the place is protected, um, they, they, they haven't traveled far north or anything. They came through the forest, but no one's going back through that again if they can help it. So again, escorts her back out. She's being very careful to memorize where they go. It's not real hard. Um, but she bids him, he says she's tired, she needs to get some rest. Uh, but she's going to say goodbye to her, or goodnight to her companions, check on Tevin, and then she'll head to bed. And he's like, yes, do you need a guide? She's like, no, I know where the rooms are, thank you. So she makes her way to them. Michael and Dandy are in their room, still fully dressed. They didn't get into bed or nothing. They wanted to make sure everything was okay with Artemis because they don't know what's going on here. And they don't know if they're going to be here for one night or they're going to be here for a week. they got to figure this stuff out. But everybody knows the Sunstone is what they're here for. I mean, as soon as they said this artifact of the light called the Sunstone, they're like, well, and it beat it a, an evil vampire thing. Well, we're pretty sure what we know what that is. So, it, like, all clicking together. Pretty obvious to them with all the pieces of the puzzle they already have. That was the last missing piece. So when Artemis arrives and says, yeah, I, I know where it is, but I don't think they're going to let us take it. It's highly valued as something that they use to 
protect their kingdom. And as such, I, mean, I don't want to take it from them. But at the same time, I know we need it. I don't know what we should do. I'm torn. I can't ask Draven, because he can't be, he's not here. And to be honest with you, I already know what he'd say. His quest for vengeance is more important. Um, but I just don't know. I mean, they already have other protections, but still. And they talked about it for a little while. And this is exactly what happened. As a, as a group, they talked about it. I play the part of Michael, of course. But we have a conversation in that room about what we should do. And after a discussion and thinking about their options, they decide they're going to try to steal it. Because... The justification they came up for that is, if we use it to kill Daedalus, they won't need it to protect against Daedalus anymore. Right? Like that's, you could see how that would, people looking for a reason could use that. If we take it, we go kill him, and then give him their stone back. They might be irritated, but we got rid of the threat. They got to be pretty happy about that, right? Texas, uh, more s'more double swinging is such a fun thing. <laughs> it is. So Artemis tells, this is where it is, this is where it was shown, talks about the wards. Like, well, what do we do here? Dandy's like, did he, have to ca did he have to cast a spell to open the lock? Artemis says no. He goes, then I can get us through the lock. He goes, but the warding, that's going to be up to you. He goes, because you're the only magic user we got here. Not counting one hit Kevin. But he's not going to have the ability. We're going to need to sneak in there, take it, and then get out of here. All of us. And that's a lot of people. How should we do this? And I let them do all the planning. And this is the plan that they came up with. We're going to go through the roof. They asked me if there was a window in the room where the lock was. And I said, sure, there's stained glass things. So Dandy's going to cut her way through the glass. Her, Michael, and Artemis, and half of the tribals, including their leader, Jim, are going to go through into that room. So it was just off of the cooking room, but it's late at night. There shouldn't be anybody up. If there is, they will do their best to subdue them without hurting anyone. So, you know... Knock him over the head a little bit. Cast a sleep spell on him if they have to. Tevin and the other couple of uh, tribals are going to wait on the roof. And then the goal is that if they can get the stone and get back up to the roof, they can get in the chest of holding and Dandy can try to get them out. She's going to be the only one who has a good chance of getting over that wall or through the guards without getting caught. She's a rogue. That's what she's for. Uh, I mean, that's what she can do, I should say. She's, that's her skill. Dandy is mighty sneaky when she needs to be. And remember, she has some pretty high-ranked skills at this point. She's a, she's a good level. So it's the best plan they can come up with, but the longer they're here, the more trouble there could be. They, they could be getting this. Secondly, they all have a bit of concern of Draven in those trees because there's jungle goblins in there, tree goblins, which is a, is a monster that I made up, and that's what these guys call them. There's actually a, a name for them, but I, I, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, but they're uh, goblins that uh, look like a goblin, but 
a little bit more squat, but they got longer arms that are almost like spider-like, and the front two end in like piercers, and they're really fast and can climb through sh- through thick brush and such. Um, but they have an issue with light. Um, that's why they live in very lush forests and things. They stay hidden in there. It's why they don't really come out, even at night. And one reason why this place is so well lit. The well lighting is not for for the vampire. The well lighting of the city and everything and the big light up top is for the jungle goblins. Or tree goblins. Whatever. Um, <laughs> again, I couldn't find the name. It's written in here somewhere. It's in a, I have a whole other binder dedicated to King Darkmore. <laughs> so it's in there somewhere. I didn't get a chance to read that one today. Um, so they decide to enact their plan. They decide to go out the window in the dandy's room. They're going to give a couple hours and let everybody go to sleep. There are a couple Templar guards. They'll have to be dealt with. Um, dandy and Michael believe that they could be the sneaky people they need to to knock them out if they need to. But they want to avoid trying to travel through the actual big prayer room because that's kind of central and anybody going to get a late night snack or go to hit the bathroom, whatever, might come through there if they don't want that. So they decide to try to make it to the roof. Dandy goes first. Of course, she's the best climber there and she has rope with her. She's able to get up there pretty easily. The walls are very decorative. Um, Sigils, runes, carvings and such, gargoyles, whatever. Um, It's only a two-story building. It's a good-sized building, but it's bigger square than it is high. Um, it's not higher than the wall. There's reasons for that. The wall is three stories high. The wall's very big. But they get up on top, but now they realize, oh yeah, now there's a wall. It's a good distance off. They can't use any lights, so they got to be extra careful. While the guards aren't really looking inward, they're looking outward. They have to be extra careful. That was another threat, a.k.a. more rolls that they had to make. And they did good things. We're going to hide our weapons, things that shine, wrap them in cloth. Um, in this situation, Michael chooses to leave Menandra in the chest of holding, and he takes just a sword and a couple daggers with him. Because Menandra is very long and not as good for sneaking in windows if he doesn't have it, and they have no doubt they're not going to find anything in dead, undead in here they have to worry about. It's clearly holy land. Artemis knows that. Danny, they make it across the roof. They're hiding. Roof is decorative. It's not completely flat. Place for them to hide. Very well lit, though. Makes it harder. And they manage to lower themselves down. Dandy does cut open the window they're looking for. Because it was a little bit higher up in the room. Tall room. And not really meant to open. They feel bad they had to break the window, but they do that. Dandy gets it out. And they start making their way in. The group, as I mentioned it, makes their way in. They're hiding in there. There are two doors into this room. One actually leads outside. It's like a back door. This is the kitchen room. It's where stuff would come in. I'm sorry, three. This is not counting the door that takes to the artifact. There two, there's a door that leads into the prayer room, the actual cathedral area of the, uh, the, the temple. And then there's a short hallway that leads to the door that you unlock that goes down to the stairs. Michael Dandy Artemis are going to go after it while leaving the three uh, tribals that they brought with them to kind of watch those doors. That's the plan. Plans don't always go as planned, though. Dandy has absolutely no problem picking that lock. It wasn't magical in any way. It's a good lock. It's an expensive lock, but for Dandy, it was nothing. So she knocked it out pretty quick. And they make their way downstairs. 
And here's the sunstone. The room itself is not huge. It's a good space, but not huge. And there's nothing else of value in there that you can see other than some scrolls on shelves and stuff. Some books. These are probably holy stuff. Maybe be magical, but they're not looking to steal anything else. They just want to get the one thing they have to and get out. So they... Artemis comes up and she's like, okay, I see this. I can dispel this, but it's going to take a little while. Probably about 10 or 15 minutes. It's a powerful spell. Um, it's, it's several layers, if you will. I have to unweave this spell. But she goes, I have a spell much like it back at home in the temple as well. Plus some better ones protecting that secret cavern underneath the place. But they have a treasure room as well. So Artemis begins the spell casting. Uh, Dandy and Michael stay near the doors to listen for sounds. Overall, it goes pretty well. And then, about that time, things go off the rails. She dismisses the spell successfully. She's very happy. And she reaches out to take the sunstone setting off the second ward that was not visible. A ward that was set by Damon himself. But they don't know that. They're like, we gotta get out of here quick. We've got it now. As they're running up the stairs, they can already hear the sounds of combat. Making them run even faster. Getting up there, there are several Templars attacking or fighting with their three tribal friends. Templars drastically outgearing them. Tribals don't wear but some minor leather armor, le leathers and stuff. They don't wear much at all. These Templars are like chain mailed out at least. Probably not plate. You can walk around in plate. That's uncomfortable. But chain for sure. Maybe some studded leather. But definitely better weapons as well. Blades and such. So they're having a rough time. Luckily, Michael and Dandy getting up there are able to jump in and make up more than the difference. But it's loud. This is clearly a problem. They know this is going to attract things. And they tell Artemis to climb out. The rope is still hanging from the window. And as she turns to try to go that way to get out with the sunstone, the door to the... Uh, outside opens and Damon walks in. So, understand that Michael and Dandy and the tribals are fighting the Templars who are coming from the churchy room. Damon comes in from the other side, directly behind them, and it's just him versus basically Artemis. And he doesn't ask why. You could see in his eyes that he looks hurt. He's crushed by this. But he doesn't ask why. The first words that come out of his mouth are a spell. Because he's got a job to do. And Artemis and David have a cleric fight. Which is intriguing when neither of you are actually a cleric of any type of combat-based god. Um, Damon has more combat-based spells as a cleric of the light than Artemis does. Artemis, being a much higher level than him, has more powerful alternative spells. So there was only a few spells that were cast... Um, but very quickly, Artemis is outmatching Damon. Sorry, cat. Um, outmatches, outmatches Damon. And he ends up yelling out, 
go for the king. Not like go stab the king, but go get the king. And one of the Templars leaves and runs back out of the room. Now they've got a bigger problem. First they're trying to deal with themselves, but you bring someone like Thomas in here with access to what he has, they're doomed. Now they have to get out of here quickly. At this point, they have to now intensify the combat. Instead of going to really not hurt people, they're going to hurt people as little as possible. And literally, they say something to that effect. We have to get out of here, do what you need to do to get these guys down kind of thing. Artemis, not happy with that, knows she has to do something as well. So I can't remember the exact spell she cast, but she, she did like a hold person spell, if I remember correctly. Um, and she, what they did is she, this is their plan, they called it out, they knew what it was, but she is casting the spell, but before targeting Damon, turns and casts it on the remaining people fighting her allies. At the same time, Michael and Dandy switch targets and open up their backs to them and go after Damon. Um, it's a it's a combat trick that they've used in fights before. Um, they have to tell me this is what they're going to do, and then you roll initiative. Because if something happens, and Dandy and Michael have a worse initiative than Artemis, then the people they're fighting have a better initiative than Artemis, then they get a free hit on Michael and Dandy, who've turned their back, before they get the spell cast on them. And that's even assuming the spell works. Again, there you have initiative and how that works. So that's kind of the, the, the plan. They know that there's a gamble in these situations that they may take a serious wound in the back or even die by doing this. But if it's successful, now you've got the melee against a caster, a caster casting spells on the melee. It's a good switch up. Um, but you always, as a DM, have to make sure that there's an air of threat to any desperate plan. Um, and alter that air of threat based on the situation. What they're fighting can definitely have more effect as well. So, in this situation, it was successful. The hold person, because of Artemis' level, was able to hold the uh, remaining guards that were there, because one had already been injured, knocked out by Dandy and Michael. It's <clears throat> not just three of them against uh, the two tribals, Dandy and Michael, because one guy, remember, there were five of them, one ran out. He's gone now. There's no way they're going to be able to catch up with him. And at the same time, Damon trying to catch a spell now has two melee fighters running straight up. And it doesn't take but a second for Dandy to knock him square out with her hoopback. He's mid-casting a spell. He can't, it's hard for him to stop in the middle of that. And she just thonks him one good time. And he hits the ground and got a little bit of blood there. And Artemis feels horrible about that. But she knows he's not dead. You can see him breathing, but he's knocked out. And the other three can't move. And at this point, they just hurry. And they rush up to the roof as quickly as they can up the rope. Um is what they were going to do, but they don't. Instead, they call down, and Tevin and the other two tribals come down, and Tevin's actually way better climbing than Artemis is, being a tribal. Artemis is always the slow one in these situations. They come down to the ground now. They don't have a lot of choice. Everybody jumps in the chest of holding. Dandy takes it. She grabs her dark cloak or whatever, and then she books it to try to get out of there. The door's already open. She's got to get out of there before the king is here. She makes it to the wall before she starts seeing all the lights coming on in the tower, like literally lights going on in multiple levels, and see people and such coming out of the of the of the keep of the the temple the tower. She can't see who they are. They're a good distance away, a good distance from the wall. But she has no doubt they're heading towards the temple. Uh, so she scales the wall successfully. She manages to pass her test. Uh, she had to make multiple rolls of hide in shadow, uh, move silently, uh, things of that nature. 
to get up the wall. Then she had to pass between guards, who now their attention's on the inside, which only helps her in the regard that getting out past, once she gets past them, it's actually a little bit easier for her because now everybody's searching the inside. Uh, but she makes it into the town and she does her best to get out of Darkmoor. Um, she can't just run in a straight line. You know what I mean? There's, it doesn't take long before they're searching for her everywhere, and she knows there's magic involved. So she's doing her best to be sneaky, hiding in buildings, making sure she doesn't leave a, a straight track in case they're using something that tracks her, uh, doubling over her own steps, climbing up on a roof when she can, jumping a building. You know, so if it's dogs or something like that, it's not going to be able to follow them. She's very good at this. Very experienced rogue. Um, and a lot of these things are also very helpful when they're fighting undead. So her and Michael have strategies for these situations. But she runs and gets out as quickly as she can. And she decides to go west. I'm not west, I'm sorry, east. The way they originally wanted to go. She realizes they may come looking that way since they've been telling them, hey, we're going east. But she's hoping with her head start, if she can just make it to Draven, they've got a chance of making it out of this successful. She runs for 30, 45 minutes. She's been out of the range of the spell that keeps back Draven for quite a while before running through some trees, she literally sees him standing ahead of them in a couple, in between a couple of trees. He's being very careful to be obvious to her because a spooked dandy is dangerous. Spooked dandy can, has caused damage to her own party on more occasions than I can count by a spooked dandy. She has knocked out Artemis. She's knocked out Darsh, Dr. Mercy, she gets Darsh most of the time. Just the way it works. I love those two. Um, but she gets to Draven. She tries to explain what's going on, this or this. They know we're coming. He's like, get in. We'll talk about it later. They put the chest down. It grows. Fills it back up with air because they were running really low at that point. The amount of people that are in there. Artemis and them are looking up and Danny starts climbing down and goes, Draven's got us. And the thing closes again. They do have light sources in there, by the way. I should, I, sh I think I've told you guys that in the past, but in case you're new, there's light sources, but it's dim. It's not easy to read in there or anything of that nature. They can light candles and such, but by doing so, they will burn up more of the oxygen. So they usually refrain from that uh, unless they use some type of magical item or magical spell. This is not a situation to use the artifact flame dagger. That'll burn up some oxygen quick. Although technically, magically, it'll work where there's no oxygen. It burns underwater. It's a cool dagger. Although its damage is lessened greatly. All right. And that's exactly where book one ends. We're going to keep going. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. That binder that we've been reading on for a very long time is done. And that, that I started using these folders after that. And the binders I have just for maps and things of that nature. But yes, now we get to move into book two of like five or six. And that's not even the stuff I haven't written yet. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Before I move on, I'm going to grab a drink real quick. If anybody has any questions about anything that we've just covered, please feel free to throw them in. There's a, bit, a couple second delay. I'll grab a drink and answer them. If not, we'll go right into the story. Ugh. And I'm back. 
Darkmoor, that part of the adventure had a lot more role-playing to it than I kind of gave off there. There was time of them speaking with... It was one of those times they got to speak with the king and the stuff. And it was really just Artemis speaking to me, of course. Uh, but it was, a, it was a good chance for her to, to be in a situation like that, where she's the high priest and she's in unfamiliar lands. I wanted to give her that experience. She's always been a lower-level priest going to someone else's temple. Or even in her own temple, she's the high priest, but most everybody knows they're, they're there for that. So uh, I also wanted to give her that moral dilemma of theft. Because that was cool. Because <laughs> you know, again, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a jerk. Now, as we hit this here now, this, this, the book here, I must stress that I get a little bit more proud of things as they move on here. And I say that because there's going to be a little bit more reading stuff moving forward uh, than there has been in the last little while. There's always been some, uh, but there's a good chunk of reading in the rest of this part. So hopefully you guys don't mind that too much. So tell me and I'll skim it. But I'm going to begin. After what seems like hours, the lid of your chest of holding opens. Draven's face appears, directing you that it is safe to exit. It hasn't been hours because they would have died of air, but it feels like that. You climb out and find yourself surrounded by trees. The sky is clouded over, allowing plenty of shade in the cool forest. We are safe here, for a bit, says Draven. Take a few moments to stretch your legs and gather your things. We will continue on very soon. So everybody gets their loot. Michael's got Menandra. Everybody gets up, stretches their... Because they've been... They can walk around in there. It's a room. It's a good-sized room. But fresh air and such, it just gets stagnant the longer they're in there. Um... So, they give everybody some basic jobs. We need to gather a few things to go. We're not going to light a fire here, but if use bathrooms. Gather some wood for fire. We're going to throw it in the chest of holding in case we get to an area where there isn't any. We may have to uh, spend more time in there. I want to make sure we've got the stuff we need. So, everybody kind of goes off and uh, does their chores. After a few moments, Draven um, tells the warriors he needs them to scout in the different directions to see if they're being followed. Dwarves like, excellent, okay, so they kind of go off in different directions to do so. And then he tells Tevin that there's a small spring um, through the trees in this direction. He pulls out a bunch of things that they have in the shop. I need you to go fill all these up with water. Tevin's like, we got like a whole barrel of water in there. He goes, yes, but we may not be able to get in and get that water. I need a bunch of water we can carry. Tevin's like, that makes total sense. And gathers it up. He's like, I'm going to get the water. He's always excited to have something he can actually do. And he bumbles off in the trees to get the water. This leaves Draven alone with Artemis, Dandy, and Michael. After everyone is left on their chores, Draven gathers the three of them. We have all three artifacts now, he says. It is time to find Daedalus. It is my belief he can't be too far away, but I don't know exactly where. I have an idea. I'm going to lead us in that idea, because while searching, I came across something familiar. Not much. Small landmark, but I'm familiar with that landmark, and that's a concern. He sits down on a fallen log. He looks tired, which you assume is from his long, long run from Darkmoor, because he's been booking at maximum Draven speed. I think, he continues, it's time that we take a look at those things that the Prophet gave you before we left. And all of the things going on, they've forgotten that each one of them had been given a tube of some type of prophecy specifically for them. Uh, they were down in the chest of holding. Dandy runs down, grabs them, brings them back out. And it's easy. They know who's the Sue's. They look different. 
Um, and so in this situation, there was one for Dandy, there's one for Michael, one for Artemis, and one for Draven. All four of them were given one of these scrolls. The tribals had something whispered. Each one got a direct message from the prophet. But those weren't drawn. Uh, what happened here? I would hate to be in that chest of holding. They've almost died in it a couple times. Uh, it's an awesome thing to have from a D&D standpoint, but I agree. Being in there, knowing you can't open it from the inside. It can only be opened from the outside. Definitely, you know, it wouldn't be fun knowing you're in there, especially as the air starts to get out. Yeah, I wouldn't like it either. <laughs> and, okay, good night, Draven. I have school tomorrow. Have yourself a good day and enjoy school as best as you can. School sucks, but it's a necessary evil, so I wish you well. Have yourself a good night, man. So they each open up their picture. And it's like, again, it's a scroll. Remember, I, I said she draws, and that's what her prophecies are. And then she and the old her grandma who raised her have to interpret what those drawings are. She doesn't remember the drawing. She knows she draws it. She can look at it later and understand what that was. But the act of drawing, something else is guiding her hand. She, To her, it's blurry. She can see a blurry thing in front of her, but she doesn't even know what she's drawing. That's kind of how Shastra's primary prophecy works. She gets visions and such too, but big things inspire her to draw. And they're the drawings of a child. She's not a phenomenal artist at all. It's what you would expect to find on a refrigerator drawn by your 11 or 12 year old. Maybe some of it's you know, relatively recognizable, but you know that dog's head is way too big and those legs are not the same length. It's that kind of drawing. Dandy looks at hers first. Now I want to stress to you that the person playing Dandy, I took to a side room and told her what that prophet, what the, what was on the paper. I then did the same thing for Artemis and Mike, and they were told not to share them. That's what Shastra said. These are for you specifically. So they don't know what Michael and Draven saw either. You get the benefit of hearing both because you get the story. Dandy's drawing is of a strange figure. It appears to be half Dandy, half weird Dandy. Like it's Dandy bending over to pick up something. You can tell it's got her long top knot and her little hoop packs on her back. It's not drawn straight, but she can tell that it's a Dandy. But she's picking up a long stick with a purple blob at one end. And Dandy's starting to go purple on one side, or the arm that's picking it up is as well. Looking at that, she can only assume that that's Menandra. On the ground around here are a bunch of poorly drawn bodies with X's over their eyes, including one dressed in black with blood splashed all over it. That she, looking at it, thinks could be Michael. That's hers. Artemis. Her picture is of a beautiful woman dressed in blue with angel wings. Before her, cradled in her hands, is a source of great bright light. You can tell because it's like a sun and light's coming out of it. They can't see other than it's, it's something bright, but it looks like a sun. Around her, there are shadowy figures falling back or recoiling from the light. But the angel's face is sad, and she weeps red tears. So, one of them got to hear that, the other one got to hear hers. They don't know what Michael and Dandy saw. 
or uh, Michael and, and Draven socks. All four of them had one. So I say to them, you stare at the pictures for a long time. Finally, as you look up and you all stare at each other in silence, you can tell that Draven is very troubled and keeps glancing between Artemis and Dandy. Not really, I mean, Michael's there. He's not like avoiding him, but he's keeps looking back between Artemis and Dandy like he's worried and confused. Michael is as white as a ghost, staring at the ground. Draven opens his mouth as if to break the silence, but stops abruptly as you're all surprised by the drawings in your hands slowly beginning to crumble and falling into dust. So once they see them, they don't get to see them again. In seconds, nothing remains of any of them. Draven nods and says, These prophecies were meant for our eyes only. Strasha said we were to keep these to ourselves, and I suggest that we do so. Prophecies are strange things and incredibly dangerous. Sharing or discussing them can sometimes have dire consequences. We were told to keep these just for us. I can only believe that by breaking that request, we may be inviting only greater hardship. It's around this time that Tevin comes bumbling back, lugged down with a bunch of in his robes, trying not to trip. Because, again, he's not used to wearing that much clothing. I want to stress that. This is something that I pointed out a lot at the time in the story. He trips a lot when they're hurrying because he's used to being in just his leather pants, you know, and running sandals or barefoot. Like, he's, he's very agile. You put a robe on him and it, you might as well be just wrapping someone up in a blanket and say, go fight somebody. It's a challenge for him. So he's trying to lug back all these water bottles and he keeps dropping one and picking it up. And while he's picking up that one, two more fall down. It was very funny to, to talk about. Then soon everyone comes back again. And, of course, they all don't know what happened, but they're like, everybody you know, Everybody seems very worried. And the tribals come back, and they're looking at Tevin, and Tevin's looking at them, and they're looking at each other, and they're looking at the party, and they're like, well, some shit went down while we were gone. We didn't get to... They, that happened on purpose. They could tell they were not happy they were sent away, because something happened between these people, and they don't know what it is. Vanna Reaper gives me a laugh. Yeah, I, I like to... I try to bring comedy into it as much as possible, uh, because I also try to make really, really emotional stuff. Happy and sad and frustrating and worrisome. I, I try to stroke a, a, a high level of emotion for my characters. If I can see that's having effect, I feel that I'm writing correctly. Um, anybody can write a fight scene. Anybody can say, I'm going to hobgoblin. I roll seven. What do you roll? That's fine. It's what you put between the battles. It's how you describe the battles, and more importantly, how you make the battles matter. That is, in my opinion, the essence of a good D&D campaign. I'm rolling to kill an orc. Yeah, he jumped on me while I was rolling awake. I'm trying to kill an orc because if I don't, the thing behind him is going to blow up and it's going to wipe out a thousand people that I love. It adds, now the rolls are way more important. Okay, I really need to, you know, time is of the essence. I've only got so many rounds to do this. Giving that added pressure, it, it, it adds more depth to the other things that are the classic D&D moments of the rolling of the dice, finding the traps, figuring out the puzzles. Although puzzles, I, I really enjoy coming up with different puzzles. That's something I'm going to talk about a lot on the uh, new Behind the Dice podcast I'm going to be starting in January, which is more of the technical side of D&D which was one of our extra life goals that we reached. Yay. Everyone returns to camp. They pack up their stuff. They move out. Everybody's tired, uh, but they've got to get going. Because, again, they want to get as far away from Darkmoor as possible. Jim says, yeah. <laughs> they've been traveling for two days. 
and they're currently traveling across a large grassy plain. A comfortable breeze. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you the same way I read. It. I keep changing it. When I say you, I mean this is how I read it to the characters. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't confuse anyone. If it does, I'll try to stop doing that. But please let me know. Uh, I, I try to give you the same experience I gave them. So when I read, you've been traveling for two days and you are currently traveling across a large grassy plain. Comfortable breeze blows and you are in odd spirits. The tribal warriors, while concerned with the fate of the prophet, are enjoying the tribal. Generations of warriors lived their whole lives with, uh, without ever leaving tribal lands. And these five were on an epic quest. And you can imagine that. Generations, no one's left. I'm on an epic quest. Send out by the prophet herself. That's big business. You can understand how you feel pretty proud of that moment, even with all the bad stuff going on. Um, Tevin spends most of his time with Artemis, studying and praying. Like most new clerics, he's an eager student, and Artemis does her best to match his enthusiasm. It is difficult as the dark cloud of her fears fill her thoughts. Michael and Dandy seem troubled as well. Dandy is pretty much her normal self, except her worrying about Michael, who's been acting very distant lately. Since they read the thing, he, you know, he's still married, kisses her good morning, good night, but he doesn't talk as much. There's not as much, you know, job jovial, because being married to a Kender, you've got to have a sense of humor. He's, he's just, he's being very distant lately. Um... You see, where was I? I did read that. Um, Draven, too, has been quieter than usual, often leaving the group for hours, scouting ahead. He says he knows where you're going now, though he refuses to share any specific details. As the sky begins to lighten in the distance, because again, remember, they travel at night. As the sun's first rays sneak over the horizon, Draven returns. He tells you there's a small grove of trees a short ways to the south. Not the big scary trees. They're, they're away from all the big scary trees. Hey, turtle, what's up? Um, uh, Grove of Trees. Yeah. The party makes their way there in about 30 minutes and begins setting up camp. Um, so this area is uh, pretty nice. There's a small pool of water here, like small, like not a huge, but you could say a pond. But it's pretty clear water. Uh, river, little thin river flows into it and flows back out through the area. Uh, decent amount of trees, uh, lots of shade. Um, at this point, like I said, it was spring before. It's where they're at now is rolling a little bit more into summer. Um, so it's warm, but not uncomfortably so, uh, except for Tevin. Tevin is the one, he, he, he overheats in those robes. So a lot of times when Artemis is looking, he'll have them open, he'll be fanning himself, and at night he, he curls them all, folds them all nice and uses them as a pillow, uh, but he doesn't want to get them dirty because he's proud of those robes, and he just can't sleep. It's too damn hot. So there's that. Um, but it's a nice, comfortable place for a campsite. Probably one of the nicer ones they've come to in a while. Draven takes a seat by the fire, because they start a fire, because it's morning, but they still want to cook food and have stuff, uh, make tea, things like that. Uh, his cloak is pulled up, covering his head, protecting him from the morning sun that occasionally pokes through the trees. Again, it doesn't hurt him. It can sometimes be a little uncomfortable, um, but it does make him a little bit weaker. Draven says something that catches them by surprise. He says he thinks that everyone should stay here for a few days. While he scouts ahead. Now again, the Grovich, they're, they're in the edge of a forest. Like, it's not a huge forest, but there's a lot of space. The, the river goes up through the trees, so there's plenty of room. They could hide in here, take off, go for a walk, whatever. Uh, there, there's, it's, it's not like six trees in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's the edge of a forest. They don't have to go deep into it, though. I want to stress that. Um, 
I gave them the option to role play there a little bit, and they were talking to them. They're like, well, why? Why shouldn't we go with you after all this time we've been in a hurry? And Draven presses on and says, he has to mention that he and Daedalus were not the, Daedalus were not the only things their world taken by the merge. Remember the, the big wolf-like creatures that I was talking about? Uh, as other things, he goes, as we get closer, I may come across more of those things. I am better suited to avoid them and know when they're closer than you will, uh, and easier to enable to pick a path. As we are drawing what I believe much closer, that path is going to only considerably become more dangerous, and we need to know what it is well ahead of time. So I've been scouting ahead a little bit. I need to get a good glance at where we're going so I know this. Um, let's see. He says he plans on leaving for three days. So he'll return in three days. He's going to do as much screening as he can. But what he does tell them is that while he's gone, he wants them to adjust their schedules. Start sleeping at night and staying up during the day again. As much as the sunlight weakens him, it's going to weaken Daedalus even more. And if they do come across, get to the point where they're going to actually fight him, the sun could be a benefit. Um, coming upon Daedalus's keep in the sunlight uh, would be much better than coming into it in the dark of night. So while it's going to make it a little bit harder for him to travel, in the long run, it'll be more beneficial to the party. You'd think, of course, Draven wants to give himself the optim optimal situation to fight his brother. Why would he throw something weaker into himself since he's probably going to be doing the heavy lifting fighting his brother? And that's because he knows he needs these guys. He was told they have to be here. They have an important role to, to play. He wants to make sure they've got every edge they need to do that role. Because if he's going to be successful, he needs their stuff to work correctly too. We're getting to a chunk of reading now that I hope you guys don't get too bored at. Please let me know. Over the next three days, Tevin gets his first staff. He didn't normally carry a staff. It was a bow guy or a dagger guy, but he's starting to learn how to fight with a staff a little bit because, you know, when you're a cleric, you're slightly limited in what weapons you can use, right? A healing cleric can't use a bladed weapon of any kind. They only use blunt weapons. Artemis uses a quarter staff and a whip. And the whip is more for just entangling feet and trying to trip people. She rarely uses it, but it is a backup weapon when needed. <laughs> go bonk something. There you go. And so... It's actually Dandy and Michael who start training him. Because the other warriors, they don't really use staffs either. Again, really good archers and uh, you know good with their spears and such. But they don't... Dandy and Michael... Dandy especially has, has more training with staffs. And Michael's experience with Menandra has taught him a lot as well. So they're training that um, what little they can in crunch time. They, they carve him a really good quarter staff out of some woods and make sure he's got a stick. Um... They have basic conversations. They get to talk to people, talk about what's going on. I gave them some time to role play. Um, at the end of the third day, Draven does not return. Fourth day and fifth day go by. Again, still no Draven. On the sixth day, Draven appears near the very end of the day, right as the sun's going down. He looks concerned, but no injuries, although it's hard to tell. He's got such a high regeneration he tells them that he has found Daedalus. And sure enough, he's exactly where he thought he would be, in the same place he fought him last time. When the merge happened and Draven was hurled into the New World, 
he was in the middle of fighting his brother on a tower next to a part of uh, that was built onto a keep that his brother, uh, you know, was lord over. Uh, he had snuck in to fight him and was doing that. It was just the two of them there. There was no one else in the tower. Um, he says the tower came through the merge, and sure enough, there's someone inside of it. He says there's also that kind of mini dragony looking beast. Sometimes I see flying in the air around it as well. Uh, the tower is up high on some cliffs, and only a piece of the keep came through. It's almost like the keep changed into a, a big cliffy mountain, and a little bit sticking out with the tower on it. And it's kind of crooked, a little bit. Dragon-like creature. Yes, so the dragon itself looks a lot like a dragon, except it's a bit smaller, and instead of having arms and legs and wings, its front arms are the wings. So it doesn't have any grippies, it's just a spike. It can bat you with a wing, chaw attack, um, but it's not quite as big. And Daedalus is known to ride on one. That's what he was flying over after the village got all schmooked up. Um, now Draven says he's familiar with the keep because he had to get into it last time. Um, the tower itself is from their world of Valerium. I forgot that's the name of his world was. Valerium. Um, now he knows that the entrances and there'll probably be traps kept up there, but fortunately the tower has a secret entrance and while scoping it out, that part of the tower is still there. So Draven knows a way that they can sneak in to try to avoid anything from the front. Um, it's going to take them at least four or five days to get there. Maybe longer. If they get the closer they get, depending on what they see, the things flying around, they may have to take breaks. Draven was going Draven speed, so he got there, spent some time, and came back quicker. Uh, he tells everyone should get some rest. Um, other than one person guarding at night is normal, everyone else rests. And now we come to the reading. Sometimes when I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons, before we start playing for the day, I will provide players with an envelope, sealed, or a mini scroll that I've made. It's rolled up and tied with a string or ribbon. Different depending on the situation. They have learned to think that's cool and to dread it. Because that means at some point during the adventure, there's something only they're going to know, and they're going to have to decide how they react to it. I've done it many times up to this point, uh, but this one I'm calling out specifically because, because you'll know in a minute. I'll pause and let you know when these things happen. Artemis awakens, and it's still night. It's been a restless sleep, concerns and worry filling her dreams. She decides she's going to take a short uh, walk over by the little creek, through the trees a little bit. A, middle of the night, out of the bathroom. B, she's an elf. They like nature. She promised herself not to stay up too long because she knows she has a long day ahead the next day. It's a beautiful warm evening, and the sky above is clear, though blocked out by the trees. Walking along the small creek, she feels her burdens lifted by the serene song of nature itself. And it literally does have that type of an effect on elves very often. I will say being in nature and that moment of peace uh, can do a lot to recoup them health and mental health-wise. <clears throat> God, I hope this isn't horrible. <laughs> you look so beautiful in the midnight, says a voice. 
Quickly spinning, Artemis prepares to cast a defensive spell. She's no slouch. But she stops at the sight of Draven stepping out of the darkness. Many times through the years I've watched you, he continues stepping closer, but it's in the moonlight that I've always been most enraptured. Artemis can feel her face turn red in embarrassment. She stammers, trying to find words to respond. Draven holds up his hand, silencing her, not like in a rude way. I want to point that out. There's a look on his face of concern and nervousness, something she's not seen before. He's only a few feet away now. His white hair shimmers in the moon's rays uh, as, as the moon's rays strike it. I did not understand it first, he goes on, honestly looking. It was all so unfamiliar to me. As far back as I can remember, my life has been filled with hatred and vengeance. It's consumed every bit of me, every moment, and every thought. Even growing up with his mother, I want to point this out, he's traveling around being prepared to fight and such. She was always preparing him for battle. She was always being trained to, to, to fight and such, vengeance. Draven steps to the side, looking up into the night sky. Well, as best he can through the trees. I had never felt love before, he says, his voice almost a whisper. I did not know it. I cared deeply for my mother, but it was not the same. Our relationship was complicated. I mourn her every day. She was the only person I ever had that was mine alone. Draven bows his head and is silent for a moment, lost in his memories. Artemis can feel a tear slide down her cheek. She can sense his sorrow and his loneliness, and it tears at her heart. Draven turns back towards her and stares at her with his glowing eyes. The edge of his mouth turns ever so slightly. Artemis' hearts beat quickly, and she feels like she could get lost in those eyes forever. I have loved you since the first moment I saw you on the plains those so many years ago. I have watched you, and I have protected you. And though I know I must put you in harm's way to defeat my brother, it saddens me to do so almost more than I can bear. As at this point, I have to make you aware of something in the story. You remember there was a time way back when they were in Arduel, and she was teaching and was being taken back to the ship because they were leaving at night, and in the crowd she saw Draven very quickly. There was another time when she got the Sovereign's Breath, and she teleported back herself, and she was racing to the temple, and she heard the footsteps behind her. In these situations, both times, there were assassins or people there to kill her, and Draven took them out. Draven only had been watching and protecting her for a long time. She finds this out through the story, but I wanted to make you aware of that. Every time he's popped up, it's because he's been there to save her life. And again, then I give Artemis... She, she uh, her was basically yes or no questions. Do you want to take this path, or do you want to take this path? Basically, this section here was a lot like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. And she chose her way. Artemis takes a breath, and then with her voice, waveringly says, And I love you as well. I have struggled with my feelings since our first meeting. I don't know why I never told anyone else about you, only that perhaps my heart already knew what my mind could not understand. But it's clear to me now that my feelings only continue to grow for you. Draven steps up to her and gently takes her hand. So close, his skin appears smooth like polished ivory. 
Slowly he leans forward and Artemis closes her eyes. Their lips meet, the kiss long and passionate. Artemis feels his strong arms around her, enveloping her. Finally, they separate, separate much to Artemis' disappointment. Draven does continue to hold her. She places her head on his shoulder. Uh, yes. I do not have anything to offer you. I have no gold, no land. I have no family and no title. He takes a small step backwards, placing hands on her shoulders. I do not know what is to come. To, what is to come. Tomorrow we walk into danger that some or none of us may survive. I have only myself to give you, that which you see before you. But I promise, I will love you, and I will protect you. And should we succeed, I will spend the rest of my life doing everything I can to make you happy. Is my face turning pink? No, it's warm in here. I literally just turned the heater down. <laughs> turned my fan on. It's uh, toasty. Uh, then Artemis had a choice again. I'll be honest, I don't directly remember what her what was on her scrolls, but it was mostly do you do this or do that kind of thing. Uh, I need only you, Artemis replies. Nothing else matters. I don't know how things will work out, but as long as we're together, we'll be fine. Again, the two embrace passionately for a moment. Afterwards, Draven leans in and whispers, Tomorrow begins the most dangerous part of our journey, and we will not have much time together. But we can have tonight, even if we must dread what the tomorrow brings. Artemis smiles nervously and nods, and Draven takes her hand once more, and gently leads her further into the woods, away from camp. Together they make their way to somewhere private, where they can truly be alone. This didn't have to happen. It was her choice. She could have been like, mm, not interested. I, I've given every opportunity through this for her to not go this way, but I could see that the, the young lady playing the character was wholeheartedly going this way and made it very easy to design that. Um, but choices were made. The morning comes too soon and Artemis is making her way back to camp. She hated leaving him, but felt it best she return alone. She reaches camp early enough before anyone rises. The camp is quiet and she quickly makes her way to her tent. She's about to enter when someone behind her clears his throat. Startled, she turns to see Michael leaning against a tree. She stands there nervous, not sure what to say. Michael walks by her, his expression dark. And as he passes, she hears him say, Be careful the choices you make, Artemis. You walk a path that can only lead to darkness for both you and the people you consider your friends. He continues to walk away in silence, disappearing into his tent. Once again worrying, Artemis begins gathering her things. Remind me at the end of this episode to tell you what this next section is called, because I'm just an idiot and I find it funny. I can't tell you right now, because I could give stuff away. It takes them days to travel to the tower that Draven has found. They're very careful uh, to go around certain things, such as you know, certain forest things that Draven think would be good places for traps to be laid. Um, there are certain small camps of what you could call minions, goblins, and things in the area. He Obviously, he's accrued a bit of a small force. Um... Because, you know, he sent a huge wave of them against Darkmoor, so Draven knew that he had some at least minions from this world as well. Plus, he'd want to keep some nearby because he's going to be hungry. 
they actually have to go all the way north, north and around the tower to get into the cliff, because the cliffs are going like this way. The tower's on top of it. Uh, so the tower's technically to the south of them. But they need to go around it to get to the secret entrance on the part of the keep that's still there. Fortunately, it was still there. They relatively successful. Oh, wait, is Draven a vampire? Draven is a creature that's 90% vampire. Basically, the way I've designed it is that... Uh, Think of it a little bit more like the blade concept. It's people that some are born, live a very long time, and will age and die. And then on his world, generations past, there were a group of humans who wanted that power as well. And so through dark magics and dealing with demons, began to basically steal that power by flaying and killing the vampire-like creatures on that world. Uh, because they didn't live on people. On that world, things like water and food and fruits and things had the same nutrients that on this world our blood would. So they didn't eat people, but in that situation, um, once they realized what was happening, the Draven-like people had to go in and destroy those because they were being you know, hunted and even children flayed and such. Uh, and a few of these things that had already stolen power managed to escape the world. And it's implied that that's where vampirism came from. They stole that magic, but gave up the life they had to do that. And that's how that link through demons and evil has spread to other worlds from that point. So his race would be the fathers, if you will, of vampirism. Uh, for I thought he was part vampire, part wolf, part human. Gotcha. Even in games, humans are jerk. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Except for me. But then again, I'm a god. Just kidding. I can't back that up. All right. So the secret passageway is pretty easy to find. It's a little bit wedged because it hasn't been opened since the last time Draven went in it. Um, but he'd snuck in there previously to fight his brother on the uh, on the fateful night when the merge happened. And inside is a very thin stairways. Because again, it's a secret passageway. It's not a big old honking stairway. It's a thin one. It's kind of between walls. You are an alien. I'm never the alien. <laughs> so, they're, so they're climbing up these stairs. And again, the curves at times around the outer side of the, the, the tower. Uh, is that going to be a twist later? Draven part human, part vampire, part god? I can't answer that without giving away the story. No, I was kidding. Uh, so, no, I was kidding. Uh, but he, uh, he's leading them up the stairs because now he knows where he is. The land around the tower is the same land that he came from. And luckily, when he steps there, he doesn't feel too weak. I say that because, remember, they're more powerful on this world than they are on his original world. But where they're fighting right now is a mixture of their original world. So we'll get into that a little later. But he doesn't feel as weak as he would have expected walking on these lands. They make... Oh, Draven's so sorry. I couldn't afford the second month of the membership, so I had to cancel. So You are fine, Nick. No, that is perfectly fine. Man, it's a rough time of the year for everybody. Not a worry at all. We appreciate you hanging out. You don't have to be a member. Just hang out and chat with us, man. It is totally cool. It is not a problem in the least. I totally understand. I had to cancel some stuff this month myself for the same reason. I have another work and Christmas is coming, so I understand. No worry at all, Nick. Love having you around. Stay with us. Um, so eventually, they reach the... Uh, <laughs> that is correct, Phantom says. <laughs> COVID is a poopy head. That is correct. COVID is, in fact, a poopy head. <laughs> 
They reach the top of the stairs, and there's a hidden door that Draven into the brick, and the thing slides, and so on and so forth. It's always easy to get out a hidden door than it is to find it from the other side. And they walk inside, and they're at the base room of the tower. Now, Draven has explained the layout of this tower. The tower's not super, super tall. It's a good height, but it's not like a giant tower. It was the edge of a keep that was much larger. Um, but basically, they're entering into a room that's round, right? Then there's like a balcony above it. There's going to be some stairs on the side. You can go up to that one. And then um, on that second floor, there are several doorways you can go in, which stairs go up to different rooms. And then some of those rooms have at the top then have exits to a winding staircase that goes up the equivalent of three stories to the fourth story, which is the top. So, you know, from a dungeon video game standpoint, obviously they're trying to get their way to the top, right? That's not that inventive. That's pretty classic. So, there we go. So, they make their way in. And they're in that first room. And again, it's mostly pedestals and rounded and such. And Draven knows they've got to cross across to get to the doorway on the other side. And... They're very quietly, all the, everybody's there, Tevin, the tribals, they're all quietly sneaking across when they hear someone laughing. Looking up, on the balcony above them, stands Daedalus. Daedalus. At the same time, from behind all of the other pedestals, steps out a whole mess of other people. And it is clear that all of these are vampires. Not Draven Daedalus vampires. Traditional Daedalus made them vampires. Oh, hello, Midnight. You're getting here, it's getting close to the end of the day, I know. Poopy head. So, there are about 20 vampires stepping out of the darkness from behind these pillars, completely surrounding them. Daedalus stops laughing. And this is the first time they get to see Daedalus, right? They've never get to see him before. Give me one moment here. Do I have his picture? If not, I need to pull up his picture. So give me just a moment because I don't think I had, was I don't think I was set to go here today. Give me one second because after all the time it took to get here, you guys deserve to see what he looks like. And it'll take just a moment. But he's talking to them. I can do this one. So he's talking to them and he's like, Rather foolish, don't you think, to get in the same way you came last time? Was not his brightest move, but, you know. He goes, I'm rather shocked, almost insulted, really. And what is this you have with you? This is what you brought? This is how you thought to defeat me? Foolish, brother. You know how powerful we are here, and this is all you have? Even with an army, you would have failed. But this, this is just downright insulting. Oh, uh, Nick says, when I earn some extra money, I'll click the investment. Oh, don't you worry about it, brother. It is not a problem in the least. And you don't worry about it either, Midnight. This is scary stuff, but you'll be okay. Messing with a cat. Sorry, it takes a moment to dig this out because I redid the computer. Um, so, they're like, okay. And, oh, I found it. Give me one second. Let me load it up here. There he is. That guy looked familiar. He's got a little experience in these kind of roles, doesn't he? <laughs> That's very much how I expected Daedalus to look. Yep, that's the guy. 
I talked to the people I was playing with, and I said, how do you picture him? What do you think he looks like? And to be honest, we, they all described him the same way. That's who I had in mind, and they all pictured him the exact same way. So it worked out well for all of us. But um, doesn't look too similar to Draven. Again, only half-siblings. The old inventor you dude. Oh, no, no, no. No, Darkmoor was somebody's character. They, they literally played the... They literally were somebody's character that played to take back Darkmoor. That's a story I'll share down the road. But, and this is a, this is this is the important part. Daedalus says, "I won't." You know, he said, I, "I'm rather insulted." He goes, "I don't think you're worth killing myself." And he turns to go up the stairs to another level. But as he does, he says, "Come, daughter." And as they see him walk up the stairs, they see the thin form of Shastra walking up behind him. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like David Boreans. I like him a lot. Haven't found a character for Spike yet. One of these days. So, they see Shastra dressed in a very black kind of outfit. Yes, Shastra was the, the prophet. That is correct. And her smooth white skin follows him up the stairs. And if you remember, she's a tribal. They do not have smooth white skin. Then we step into the reading. Back to back, you because they left now. Now they got all these vampires to do with. Back to back, you quickly form a circle. The horde of undead surrounding you moves towards you slowly and confidently. It seems that evil smiles and fangs are all you can see. A particularly well-dressed vampire licks its lips and says, You were fools to think you could stand against the master. It shall be your last mistake. There's a brief moment when time seems to freeze, and then the mob moves forward as one. So, they're back-to-back -back facing vampires. Now, in Dungeons Dragons, vampires very often are, are boss fights. I mean, a vampire is no slouch. Even a new vampire is still pretty powerful. Um, these are all relatively new, probably the most just a couple years old since the merge. None of them are from Draven's World. They've all been created by Daedalus here. Um, at the same time, they have some of Daedalus's blood, which a little more potent than getting turned by a regular vampire. So, they start hurting them. The, literally, the PCs just immediately are trying to block this stuff, and... Uh, I started damaging them very quickly. The characters started taking damage because, again, they're back-to-back -back and such, but they're no match. Three or four of these would have been too much. <laughs> and Phantom Reaper nails it. Not knowing what else to do, Artemis activates the Sunstone because that was exactly why they would need it. Pulling it out, not knowing exactly what to do with it, she knows you know, how these things work. She basically prays. It's a cleric thing, so you pray to activate it, and so on and so forth. And, uh, Artemis activates the sunstone, and immediately a blinding light comes forth in a wave in all directions. Like, it's almost physical, the light. Instantly, the vampires around you begin to scream as their bodies quickly disintegrate into ash. The light itself is warm, like the sun's rays, and everyone in the party is blinded, save Artemis herself. 
Only she is able to see the horde of undead crumble to dust. Even Draven's blinded. Within seconds, the evil throng is gone, leaving only a dirty floor. Kind of like the way that sounded. Draven's smoking. Like, not a cigarette. Like, his body is smoking. It didn't hurt him as much. It hurt him some. The sunstone still had an effect on him. It's concentrated sunlight. Yes, because again, Draven isn't killed by the sun. He's weakened by the sun. But he's not killed by it, because he's a half-breed. Remember that. He's, he's been on worlds with different sons many times with his mother. But he's not a full blood. His mother was part demon. Which, there's way more details about that later. He'd also been trying to shield his body a little bit. Because she told what she was going to do. Um, and again, smoking. He's got a bit of a tan for the first time. I'll say that. Um, and everyone else looks like they're sunburned. Like, literally, except for Artemis. Completely unaffected. But even the people next to her, Tevin, Dandy, they've all got, like, a like they've just been out in the sun for a while, and they got that real pink sun that hasn't gone dark yet. Like, the sunburn's there, but it hasn't kicked in. Then it gets dark and purple. It'd be hard to sleep tonight. Um, it also takes a bit for the blindness to fade. They're all blind except for Artemis. So it takes a few rounds of that. Uh, what if Draven is on the planet in Star Wars that has two suns? Uh, that I don't know, because it's, it's not suns specifically that are the problem. Merge World has about 20 suns. I think I've talked about that before. The suns actually revolve around the world, and they're spaced out enough because the world's so big that they're spaced out enough that as one passes, the next one comes along. It's in 24-hour cycles. Part of the magic. Um, so Artemis has to use some of her healing spells right here because some of the tribals got really close to dead. They're not hardcore characters here. I mean, they've got some skills and they can fight, but against vampires, they're basically fodder. So they took quite a bit of damage, and even uh, Dandy and, and Draven took a few hits. Although, remember, she can't heal Draven. Her spells don't work on Draven. On this world, he can't take regular healing. He only heals naturally through his regeneration or assisted by drinking blood. Hello there, Siraj. Thank you very much for coming by. How's it going? But they quickly prepare themselves and heal up what they have to. Not more. She doesn't try to blow all her healing spells right off the bat. But then they start heading upstairs to the next level. Because they've got to get up there before he summons other things. There's other, like I said, goblins and things that are on the planes, right? <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Quickly, you rush up the stairs to the next level. Reaching the balcony, you rush to the doorway Daedalus went through. So that's where they went. Um, oh, in this situation, they weren't looking, and they triggered a trap, actually. Um, Draven got stabbed pretty harsh there because he was up front. Uh, from that point on, uh, they learned better. Moving more cautiously, you continue up the stairs. Reaching a doorway, you see a beautifully decorated waiting room. So there's no door. It's an open doorway. Uh, big, comfortable-looking chairs surrounds a warm fireplace. There are three other closed doors leading off of this chamber. Um, now, Michael, of course, is in full Menandra mode right now, right? Hair's white, eyes are purple, chatting with Menandra a whole bunch. He got stabbed? Yeah, the Draven takes, takes a lot. <laughs> but, you know, he's in full Menandra mode at this point, right? So he's like, which is odd because the, he couldn't sense the vampires that Daedalus had in there. That's something Menandra's worried about. He doesn't know how he was being, he was being cloaked because he shouldn't have been able to. But um, now he's like, Menandra, he's like, I can tell you right now 
Daedalus is above us. And Shastra's through that door. The fact that Michael knows that Shastra's through that door confirms everyone's greatest fear. <clears throat> Michael uh, Draven wants to continue northward to get his brother, but is torn and instead decides first to open the door to Shastra's room. <clears throat> this chamber is large and decorated for a child. A large round table covered with paints and stacks of paper can be seen on the far end. Just past the entrance is a large wooden wardrobe. It sits with one door open. Multiple beautiful clothes and dresses hang inside. In the center of the room is a small coffin, obviously made for a child. It is carved of dark wood and is beautifully made. But the most beautiful thing in the whole room is the little girl standing before a large window. I'm sorry, window with balcony behind it. The sky outside is growing dark, and she stares out at the lowering sun, herself shaded by the floor above. Because it is daytime out there. The sun's starting to go down a little bit. Uh, so she's hiding in the shadows so the sun doesn't destroy her. Uh, I loved you, you know, she says, as you all enter the room. I always did. Slowly she turns and stares at Draven. Her, um, let me see. Her, let me grab it. Oops, sorry. her icy look is filled with hatred and pain. But I was not enough, she yells. Her voice almost, or yells almost a hiss. You threw me aside for her, and points at Artemis, before her eyes, re before returning back to Draven. Her face contorts into a wickedly evil grin. But you will pay. Father will teach you. He'll make you hurt. But first, I want you to know that my last thoughts of you are thoughts of hatred. With that said, she hurls herself backwards, out the window, and off the balcony. It's not that scary. You'll be okay. Draven tries to get to her, but it's too late. You rush forward and look down to see a small ball of fire rolling down the rocks below, her small body engulfed by the sun's final rays. Because two things. If a prophet is ever killed, that causes a problem. Talked about that earlier. A, she loses her ability. She lost the ability to, to get prophecies because she's no longer the living prophet. And if a prophet is killed in harshness, uh, she was like she was like thirteen, I think she's like twelve or thirteen, so she's not somewhat childish, I should say. She was somewhat child, not like a little little kid, but she was like thirteen. She was just a year or two older than Tevin. Tevin was a year or two younger than him. He was like eleven. Yeah, so she was just, like just starting to become a teenager. Uh, let's see. Draven throws back his head and screams with bestial rage. His howl is a mix of anger and anguish. Because remember. She, he didn't want that for her. Everyone takes a step back as he stops and turns from the window. His face is cold as he draws his swords. Uh, come, we go now. And he, which is, I don't know why that's what he said. And he just starts running towards the stairs up. So we may run just a smidge long tonight. Hopefully that's not too bad for anybody because we're at the spot that I'm, I'm going to get through this for sure. You race up the final steps of stairs, and they lead directly up into the top floor. You find yourself entering a massive chamber, because it's the whole thing, 
Obviously a laboratory. Shelves of books line the walls, tables of beakers and bottles filled with bubbling liquids. There are no windows. In the back of the room, there is a six-pointed star painted on the floor. Floating above it is a purple pulsating hole. For a hole is all you could describe it as. It is the size of a shield, but it shifts and changes shape constantly. A daemon portal, or demon portal, one of the other, uh, Draven says in surprise. Yes, says Daedalus, stepping from the shadows. It's taken me years to recreate your mother's spell. Beautiful, isn't it? It will be complete any time now. And as you know, little brother, once started, it cannot be stopped. Uh, let's see. Uh, you bastard, exclaims Draven. You will die this day. For all the lives you've ruined, you will taste my blade. Because again, he killed his mom. That's still a, a harsh one. Shastra stuff is new, but he still hates him for the mom. Are we far enough in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... So at this point, we enter into phase one, right? Because there is some D&D to this. It's a big boss thing we've been building up for a while. And uh, I give them each a chance to say something heroic. Like, they all have their chance, you know, because I want them to have that. Uh, can you tell us the name of the section yet? Yeah, the final countdown. It's in the back of my head. I just kept in every time. Just, it was, I had names for a lot of these chapters. Um, and I, I like that. Uh, Escape from Darkmoor was Escaping from Darkmoor. Under the Moon was the uh, Artemis and Draven in the Woods section. And this one was the final countdown. I, I use 80s references songs a lot just because I find it funny. And hello, Ethan. Good day, good day. <laughs> but they, uh, I give them all a chance to say something heroic. And they'd been thinking on it for a while. I knew they had. Uh, Daedalus manages to mock all of them successfully. Because naturally, me as a person, I'm a smartass. So I was able to do that. Um... And battle begins. So what happens here right off the bat, uh, Daedalus is powerful enough that n Artemis nor Tevin, especially Tevin, but Artemis even, doesn't have the strength to turn him. Turn undead, which for weak undead will just destroy them. For strong undead will repel them. Um, for something this strong, that ability has... Because she tries. She's never had a chance before. She's going to at least try. Doesn't count as any of her spells. It's one. Of, she's a pretty high level, but... Um, He's just so far beyond that that she has no effect on him at all. Uh, Nick says, Draven, we should do a karaoke night where fans pick songs and you try to sing them. I would, but the video would totally get demonetized. And your ears would bleed. And I don't want to do that to you guys. <laughs> um, Daedalus casts a spell. Um, and 12 skeletons basically summon in, in like, poof, into the room. Um, and start attacking. Because, again, this is... I've planned the combat. There are waves they have to do. It's not just... Daedalus fighting all of them. He has minions they've got to get through first. Uh, so there are several of those that pop up. Um, and then after a couple of rounds, Daedalus himself charge in, uh, of course, at Draven. And that all starts fighting as well. Um, oh, I just want to thank you for everything involving the Skyfact tutorials for automation. You make everything understandable and very efficient. So thank you. Well, thank you, Ethan. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming by to say so. That's awesome. <laughs> Oops, excuse me. Um... Let's see. Where was I at? Um, okay. So, uh, the skeletons, those she does have a bit better effect on. Not as much as normally she would on skeletons, because they've got something stronger pushing back. But she does manage to blow up a couple of them uh, and confuse a couple other. And uh, most of the tribals and dandy 
are taking on the skeletons while Artemis and Tevin are in the back doing what they can do. Uh, which for Tevin is not a lot. He's got a light heal, uh, like one heal at this point, or two, I think, maybe. Um, and so he's kind of just saving those for someone who really needs them. Uh, he can rush in and lay on hands, which will give the full spells power, or if he can't get in close, he can cast it from a distance at half strength. Because throwing spells is something that I allow in my game. You can throw heals, but at half potency. Um, so there's that. Uh, but there, he's just standing back there kind of waiting what to do. Because he's got his quarterstaff, but he's not going to be anything in there. Um, it's mostly Draven and Michael that are dueling deadless. Um, and that's important, because Draven's fought him before. And while he's still practicing and training and so on, Daedalus was better than he is. Daedalus is way older than him. He's a, couple cent- he's a couple thousand years old at this point. Daedalus has been around a long time. He was the oldest brother of a very long-lived race before Draven's mother even appeared on that world, right? Uh, he's very, very skilled as well. As an older brother, you can assume he's going to be trained by his father, who also was a phenomenal warrior, as we learned previously. Um, but with Michael and Menandra and Draven, it's a lot more even-packed. Um, which is, you know what I mean, it, which helps, because it, that's what's kind of tying it up, the two of them versus one. Now, remember, Draven is a half-breed. Draven's mother appeared. This way, I, I covered this back, but I'll go over it again. Draven's mother came to that world. He saved her, and then they end up having, falling in love. She realized she was pregnant. She had a prophecy. But he had already had two boys and a girl from his previous wife who had died centuries before. So, when they were very nice to her and all that stuff, there was no animosity to any of that at the time, but he had had three full-blooded sons, Draven's father did, before Draven's mom ever showed up on the world. Then he got with the mom, and he didn't know Draven, she was pregnant with Draven. She left without ever telling him that. So none of them knew they had a half-brother until Draven finally came back to the world after Daedalus had poisoned and killed his siblings and father to make the prophecy come true as the last of the bloodline. But Draven's there as well, so he wants to kill him, so he's the last. Draven wants to kill him for all the other stuff. So when you said you can throw spells, I thought roll for accuracy, natural 20. You threw the heal so far, it healed all your... <laughs> That's funny. Never done that, but that would be funny. <laughs> roll a one, you heal the bad guy? That would also be funny. Um... All right, so they're dueling them. Um, let's see. So at this point, Dandy, who normally uses her hoop pack, has switched to daggers. She's got her silver dagger, and she's using that crystal flame dagger, right? Because they got it, they brought it, has to be there for a reason. Daggers aren't that good against skeletons, so she, usually she would use her staff. But she really wants to keep that dagger out in case she can get in close enough to get a stab on, on Daedalus, right? Hook him up with that, with that dagger. Um, at this point, uh, things are going well, relatively well for them. Um, get here. Things are going, because they're, they're holding them back. They're, they're keeping it even, which is what all they could really hope for at this point. Um, I gotta go sleep, school tomorrow. All right, Phantom, have you a great one, sir. Appreciate you coming by. Um, and then it's at that point that they start hearing roars from the stairs behind them. It's only a round or two after that when four of those wolf-like Vulk creatures I talked about come tearing up the stairs behind them, and now Dandy and the Tribals, are because ha- they've got most of the skeletons down, are having to turn to try to defend against these big, like, six to seven foot tall 
slavering wolf things that are bigger in the shoulders, smaller in the butt, but they're very, they're very front-ended, they're strong and claws and such, um, who are coming up the stairs right behind Tevin and Artemis, who are now having to shift to the side so that the other people can jump in and try to... Now they're being attacked on two sides. Because, um, again, I'm a jerk. Um, and through all of this... Um, Draven and Michael are still holding their own against Edwis. Uh, so basically, if they are just managed to get by, Dragon will just manage to screw with them. Daedal yes, Daedalus will, will consistently mess with them. I'm a jerk like that. But I'm, I'm building up to something specific, because I don't like it to just be a straight-up uh, uh, fight. I have things that have to happen. Uh, Eden says, hope you have a good rest of your night. I'm going to work on my Skyfect world and try to automate HTTP. Best of luck to you. That one is a challenge. <laughs> Thank you for coming by. Uh, read section A. See, I, I I bounce across myself here. So, I want to say what happens. During this time, one of the... This, this part where the Vogues are attacking, I think there was one skeleton left that they were fighting with. Michael and Draven are still fighting Daedalus, who dual wields just like Draven does, and uh, Michael's using, of course, Menandra, which, again, is... Way big for him. It's, it's, he's very short. It's actually a bit big for him, but luckily, merging with Menandra, that kind of negates a lot of that. Um, during this time, one of the tribals dies. Uh, it's, his name is Tiaz. Uh, Triaz, I'm sorry. Tiaz. One of them actually dies to one of the Volks. It's the first, the first casualty that happens. Um, and Dandy's doing her best to try to help and fight, um, but during that fight... Dandy rolls a one. Now, many of you know what that does. Uh, you just, well, I didn't know you did do these. Oh, yes, I've been running. Uh, this story I'm telling is something I've been writing for 30 years. So it's a podcast sharing of this story. So hopefully you like it. Check it out. Also an audio podcast on Spotify and iTunes if anyone wants to listen to it that way. Dandy rolls a one. So I have special dice. Oh, yes, it's a natural one. I have a special dice. They're six-sided dice made out of steel that uh, had someone make for me. And on each side, one of them is a critical hit dice and one of them is a critical fumble dice. I've talked about these in the past. You roll a one, you roll the critical fumble dice. You roll a 20, you get to roll the hit, critical hit dice. And that will dictate some maybe special effect or something. Sometimes just simple as double damage, triple damage. Dandy rolled okay and rolled drop weapon. So, during that fight, the Volg bites her arm, and the flame dagger, that, that's how I say it, she tries to attack it, but instead her hand goes right into its mouth, bites her hand, she screams, and the flame dagger hits the floor. So there's that. Um, let me see, get that. Uh, yes, so, now she has just her one dagger, and her hoop pack is kind of tied to her, strapped to her back. It's probably, I think if I remember correctly, it fell off at this point, so she couldn't reach for that. She just has her daggers. So her hand, which is bleeding, she's got a big fang bites in her primary, her right hand. She's trying to fight left-handed, and she pulls out another dagger with the right, but she had a serious negative with that because of the damage. Um, Artemis is trying to throw a heel her way at this point, and Tevin... Uh, had rushed over to the tribal that had died to see if he could heal him. Until he got there, they didn't know he died. They thought he was just hurt. 
Uh, how much did your new PC cost? I want to say if we count everything, including the lights, the stream deck, keyboard, I want to say I put $2,500, $2,600 into it. I, was with, I already had one monitor and I already had speakers, so I didn't buy those. But Steam Deck, the big monitor, all the parts, the keyboard. I already had a, a microphone, so I didn't need that. I got the Elgato Key Light. That was like $200. Uh, the Stream Deck was like $125 or $150. Um, but I want to say it was around there. It was under three for sure. Some of, I'd say some of those I bought in waves, though. I didn't buy all of that all at once. Some of the stuff like the Stream Deck and the light came a little bit after. But if I'm looking at total, I want to say it's around that. That's not counting any specialty programs I bought, like Hit Film and stuff. Which, again, you don't have to do to use. I did because I just wanted some of the extra stuff. Okay. So, she's trying to fight, but she's really fighting with a negative there. Because she doesn't have full strength of, of her arm. Um, let me grab that here. And then the Vulk jumps on her. The Vulk literally is on top of her, and, and she's underneath it. And this thing's massive compared to her. And it's trying. she's basically, like, trying to hold off its teeth. And the thing's way stronger than her. Like, thing's totally going to mess him up. Uh, yes, natural one. Mm -hmm, that's correct. Natural one, natural 20. And the Vulk is down on top of her, and while the tribals are trying to help, they're not able to get... They're stabbing at it, but the thing is just super, super strong. Dandy, about to get dead. I mean, she's, at that point, I made these things hard. It was a big build-up to this. The fight had to be challenging. Um, it's at this point, someone had to make a choice. But it was me making that choice. And I knew what choice I was going to make. Menandra cuts through the flesh of the Vulcan Dandy. The force of the blow is enough to send the creature through the air, crashing into a wall, and it falls lifeless to the floor. Dandy, Dandy looks up at Michael weakly. He smiles down at her, his hair and eyes returning to normal. Remember, He opens his mouth to speak, but before he can, Dandy hears Draven call out to him as if in warning. Michael's face gains a look of confusion, as he stands there just a moment before, Dandy sees a small bit of blood drip from his mouth. Menandra falls from his hands as he slowly falls forward, landing next to Dandy. Too injured to move, she can feel his arm across her. From the corner of her eye, she can see the dagger in his back. And as she slips into darkness besides them, she can feel her heart breaking. Daedalus stabbed him in the back with a big dagger. He had to make a choice. He had Daedalus on the ropes. He and Draven were winning. And he might have been able to push it. But then Dandy was stuck. And if he'd done that, Dandy probably would have died. So he had to make a choice. And he knew that a choice of that nature was going to come eventually. Because Daedalus, again, you have to remember what everything Michael's been through and his hatred for undead, other than his love for Dandy, is the most powerful thing in his existence. And this standing before him right now is literally the physical representation of that to him. Um, was he played by a person or he was he not? No, I played Michael. He was an NPC. Um, but this was the physical representation of everything he hated. 
Not only is this thing a powerful undead-like creature, it created all those vampires, right? It's creating more of the thing. I mean, this is a source to him. The type of thing he's been looking for for a long time. Something that was not just killing undead, but where did the undead come from? And so, this is kind of end goal to him. You can understand how important that would be with the driving force of Venandra, who's also the exact same thing. But then there's also Dandy, who he loves. All right. Draven and Daedalus hack and slice at each other with increasing speeds. They're moving so quickly, you can barely follow their movements. At this point, I'm really just talking to Artemis, uh, because the other character, Dandy, is unconscious. Uh, Dorm and his remaining warriors attempt to assist, but are all unable... To, by this point, they did manage to kill the rest of the Volks. I want to say that. So it's just basically Daedalus. Dorm and his remaining warriors attempt... Oh, no, wait a minute. Or attempt to assist, but able to get close due to the remaining vault, because there's one. Suddenly, Daedalus stumbles, and Draven quickly moves to strike. You see the blade slash low at Daedalus' legs below his blade. But time stops as you see Daedalus' blade, other blade, explode from Draven's back. Just as quickly, the blade is yanked free, and Draven falls into his brother's arms. So he fainted him. And Draven fell for it. He went to take the blow, but when he did, the other sword came up and basically went through his chest. He pulls it out, and then he stumbles forward into his hands. You can imagine everybody was upset at this moment, because I upset people. They, you know, Artemis wants to run in, but she, what's, what's she going to do against him, right? Tevin's there behind him. This last Volk is fighting against Joram and, and the remaining guys. There's four of them now, because there were five and Tevin. One of them is dead. Um, you know, Artemis screams out, as well as you know, Tevin and them. Especially Artemis, you can imagine. Daedalus, because again, remember, he and Draven are both really strong. Raises Draven and kind of spins him around so that he's looking at them. He's just got a hole in his chest and blood's flowing out. And he takes his sword up and holds it up next to his, to his throat while looking over his shoulder, talking to them. Draven smiles an evil smile, leaning next to Draven's ear. Look at the concern on their faces, little brother. All for you. You failed them, you know, he continues. You've led them to their deaths. But the worst part is that it was all for nothing. You misinterpreted the prophecy, you see. You got it all wrong. You see Daedalus lean in closer and whisper something in Draven's ear. You're not unable to hear what he says, but you can see the anguish in Draven's eyes as his face gains a look of horror. Straightening once more, Draven says, and now you shall watch the ones you love die. Faster than anyone can react, Draven pulls... Uh, sword back and drives it into Draven's back again, this time exploding through his chest. Blood sprays forth, getting on all over everything. Everyone screams as Draven's body falls to the floor. No scream is louder than Artemis. And at this point, he, he literally just tosses the body to the side. Uh, Turtle says, Draven, I think if you could put this story into words on a page well, you'd be an amazing author. I try. You know, I, I've, I've always wanted to be an author. I've learned that I'm a storyteller. 
some of the written stuff I think sounds good. Sometimes it sounds a bit cheesy, but when I'm when I'm giving it out and I'm I'm, I'm even adjusting what I've written as we're talking, I feel it just comes out better. One day maybe. Back of my head, right? So that happens. And then something else happens that I can't tell you about yet. You're going to hear it in a few minutes. But something happens right now that only one person knows about. And you're not that one person. So we're going to move forward. Let me grab it here. Let me skip ahead to where I need to be. Uh, let's see. Um, let me grab it. With a smile of pure evil, Daedalus looks at Artemis. The remaining vault growls as the last of your tribal defenders stands defensively around her. So they basically backed up trying to protect her at this point. With Draven falling, they know that's their job. Um, and they're trying to block Artemis and Tevin. The Volk is kind of backed up and kind of next to Daedalus at this point. Um, yeah, and he basically says, you know, now you're going to die. Give me just a moment here. Here we go. And he comes charging in. Now the tribals are going to do everything they can to try to stop it. And Artemis is the beginning of casting a spell. Artemis steps back and the tribals, he's just coming in and literally just knocking a tribal down. Not, like, it's like one or two hits and they're hitting the ground. It's happening that fast. One thing I forgot to tell you. A cleric can only use the sunstone once in a 24-hour period. Something I forgot to mention, I apologize. That's why she didn't want to bust it out early, but had to, because now it's out of the way. Before anybody says, why doesn't she use it? Uh, let's see. Deadless steps back again, smiling, and looks at Artemis and says, Now, Elf, the rest of you will die. I shall take great pleasure in feasting on your lives. Deadless again begins walking towards them. The Vulk also surges forward. Artemis can hear Jamin yelling out to his men, telling them to defend her. She can hear herself yelling out, unable to take her eyes off Draven's body on the floor a short distance away. She can hear the Volk howling, and she can hear Daedalus's laughing. But in the middle of it all that noise, the one thing she can hear the clearest is a single whisper. It is quiet and spoken with a quivering voice. Oh, I lost my... It says... Help me, my lord. I don't have the strength. There's the sound of a crack-like explosion. Massive sound, deafening everyone, good and bad. Sound like a mountain being torn asunder, and everything stops. A bright, holy light emanates from behind Artemis, who can feel the president's of her god. All eyes turn to Tevin, who is emanating with that light. In his hand he holds the sunstone that Artemis had dropped previously in the battle. No, Tevin says, looking at Daedalus, much with a voice unlike his own. He speaks a word and blinding light comes from the sunstone, yet none of you are actually blinded. The Vulks instantly disintegrate their ashes blowing away. Daedalus roses his hand over his face and attempts to step forward. And Tevin just says no and pushes harder. 
Daedalus goes flying backwards as if struck by a giant fist. He strikes the wall with such force that a large part of it breaks, burying him in stone. Tevin steps to Artemis and takes her hand. Our god is with me, he says. I can feel him. Artemis smiles at the boy, tears in both of their eyes, and she nods. She is all too familiar with what he's feeling. At this point, everyone who's still alive, with the exception of Draven, got healed a bit. Divine Intervention. I talked about it very, very early. Very early in D&D. That every character has the right who worships a god. If you don't have you gotta pick that when you roll your character. You can roll for divine intervention once per level. So if you're level two, you do it and you fail, you can't roll again until you're level three. You have a one percent chance to roll divine intervention times your level. So level one, you got a one percent chance of praying to your god and your god legitimately interfering on your behalf. A cleric gets two percent per level, because they're a little bit more connected to their god. Tevin was sent on this quest for a reason. And he succeeded in divine intervention. And that's what happened. He literally prayed to Lord Tavian to help in this situation, and Tavian stepped in and did. Part of that healing wave heals everyone. It doesn't help. Uh, let me see. Uh, is Draven, is he still alive? I guess we'll have to see. But it doesn't work on Draven, because remember, none of Artemis's heals work on Draven. His body and the way he's made up doesn't work that way. Oh, hello, Patches. The glow around Tevin begins to fade until he's just Tevin once more. He smiles once more at Artemis and then collapses on the floor, his strength completely drained. A crumbling noise of stone falling comes from behind you. Artemis sees Daedalus rising from the rubble. His body is covered in dirt and stone, and you can see small cuts and wounds on his face and body. Ow, he says, looking at you with hatred, wiping the blood from his forehead. I've underestimated you all for the last time, he says, picking up his swords, but no more. I shall play with you no longer. <laughs> he begins to step forward until once again he's interrupted by the sound of two voices from over by the stairs. Everyone, even Daedalus, looks over there. Like, who's alive over there? Standing there is Dandy. But Dandy doesn't look like Dandy. Dandy's hair has gone all white. And purple smoke comes from her eyes. And in her hand, she holds a very powerful weapon. I said somebody heard something, and I couldn't tell you what that is. While all this was going on, Dandy had this happen. Menandra, she hears a voice, a female voice telling her to wake up. And she does. She's hurting, but not as bad as she was before. Tevin's heel helped a little bit. She hears a female voice that she's never heard before. And the voice, a lot like Artemis, sounds regal, almost noble. Monandro, very neutral, not like excited or sad, but very neutral in tone, tells her that Michael has fallen and that 
her friends are not strong enough to defeat, defeat Daedalus alone. Draven is down. Michael is down. All that's left is Artemis. And Artemis does not have the strength to fight a creature like Daedalus alone. Michael had a choice. She could destroy this evil, or he could save you, Dandy. And his love was stronger than his hatred. But as he knew would happen if he made that choice, it brought about his end. There's only one way you have of not only saving your friends, but saving this entire world. You must take me in your hands and wield me as your own. You must merge with me like Michael does. And together I will give you the strength to save the world. Dandy has a choice to make. And not really a hard one. She ends up choosing yes. What she didn't realize is exactly what that was going to do. She merges with Menandra, and at that point, she can feel Menandra's essence in her. Doesn't control her, but it boosts her. Boosts her strength, boosts her speed. She can feel that help. She's still in control, but whatever she's trying to do, it's like there's something in her pushing to give it more speed and more strength. But she also experiences the one thing that Michael never told her about. The pain. Menandra feeds off hatred. Hatred for undead. And in this moment, there's nothing in the world that Dandy hates more than Daedalus. And it feeds on that. And that's what gives its strength a common hatred. And anyone wielding Menandra, merge with it, is in pain, and it boosts that hatred at the same time. And that's something that Dandy didn't know Michael felt every time he merged with Menandra. Just that incredible boost of hatred and how much pain it causes you to do what you need to do. So now we'll step back to the present because I was a little step backwards. It ends now for you, but for you, demon. We shall not allow you to hurt the ones we love. Never again. Dandy bursts forward with the speed matching Draven and Daedalus barely manages to get his sword up to deflect Menandra in time. Menandra is three times her size. And yet, I've always pictured in these scenes, she wields it much like Darth Maul did. You know, with the spinning and the flipping and around her back and such. She uses it to vault herself. She uses it not just as a weapon, but as a tool. Um, and with her speed and the boosted strength, even though it's way long for her, she's wielding it expertly. Because she's better in melee with this type of weapon than Michael is normally with her hoop pack and such. She has some experience with this. And now Dandy and Daedalus are fighting. And Dandy's holding her own. She got it by surprise, but Daedalus is still incredibly skilled, and they're fighting. The tribals, those that are still conscious, which was Jamin and one other, rush in to help. They know they don't have a lot of help, but any help they can give, whether they die or not, doesn't matter. They know they're here for a reason. And they rush in to help as well. Artemis is preparing to cast a spell to see who else she can heal because she sees Michael on the ground. She doesn't know what state he's in. And since she, and she can't help but look over to where Draven is and he's not there. What there is is a big puddle of blood smeared across the floor and she sees Draven trying to climb or trying to drag himself in that direction. 
towards Dandy's dagger, the crystal dagger, which is laying on the ground a short distance away. She doesn't hesitate, and Artemis rushes to him. She had a choice there. That's what the character chose. She rushes over, and just blood flowing out of his mouth. His, literally, you can see through him, his entrails, things are just falling out. He's in serious danger. It's, if it wasn't for his overly strong regeneration he has here, he'd have been dead. A regular person would have been dead long ago. Yes, I know, Patches. you got to wait. I'm running long. <laughs> she gets over, and he sees her, and she helps trying to sit him up. Takes a minute. She sits him up. She can hear the battle behind them raging between everybody. He doesn't speak, but he motions towards the dagger. Artemis sees it, goes and grabs it, and brings it over. Draven looks at him and says, Dandy can't kill him. She can fight him, and she can hold her own, but she, Menandra won't be able to kill him. Darren says, you have to use the dagger. I don't have the strength. You're going to have to do it. Artemis looks at it and says, I can try, but like, will flame even hurt him? I know it's magical flame. And Draven shakes his head. He reaches down and rips his shirt the rest of the way open, showing his chest. I misunderstood the prophecy. For only the blood of his kin can destroy him. The flame can't hurt him, but my lifeblood can. You have to take it. You can imagine that the character, the young lady playing this character at this moment, not happy with the choices I'm giving her. He says he can try to get her. She says, well, maybe I can get you help, this and that. He's like, no, you can't heal me. She even says, what if you drank for me? And he said, nope, I can't do that. It's not going to work. This path has already been written, and we have no choice but to follow it. He says, I can tell you the words to make the dagger work, but I've not the strength to do it myself. It has to be you. He says, if you don't do this, the lives of your friends and the world you live in is surely doomed. So if he opens that portal all the way, and he can bring his loyal people through, there's not a force here that could stop them. You have to do this, Artemis. But this is your choice. Choice has always been an important thing for Artemis. If you'll remember all the prophecies and things and hints of future, all the way coming through, the, when she was in the stones and she went through and she saw her little individual story and the, remember the world was eaten alive and this and that and she ended up being the evil thing at the end. Thing said that uh, she made her choice, but it was always her choice. It's important for me that when prophecy exists, choice still has to. Prophecy is an option. It's the most likely outcome, but it can be altered. Sometimes making the prophecy actually uh, complete in a different way than you would have intended it to. It takes her a second, but she knows she doesn't have any choice. With what strength she has, she plunges the flaming dagger into Draven's heart. She can see his face wince in pain, as she copies the word, you know, repeats the words that he reads to her. The de- flame disappears from the dagger, and she can see it takes on a sick crimson hue, and it feels wet. It's constantly dripping. And much like the flame dagger, 
it doesn't hurt her. She doesn't lose her grip no matter how wet it is, but it's slippery and literally dripping with blood. Draven's face goes a little bit whiter than before, and he falls over. Um, through her own tears, she stands. She's covered in blood at this point. It's right on her face. And she stands, and she turns towards Dandy, who's fighting Daedalus. Dandy's backing him up. She's basically coming forward, spinning the thing, you know, like figure eight kind of stuff. And he's blocking them, but he's backing up, backing up. And he knocks the blade down. But Dandy, as he does, brings the top up and thunks him in the, basically in the forehead with the staff. It's the move she said she wanted to do. Thunked him. She goes, all right, I just let the momentum go. And I hit him with the length of it. And it hits him. And he spins just a little bit, trying to block any further hit. But as he spins, he finds himself turning and he's standing right in front of Artemis who just plunges the dagger straight into his heart. Everything goes silent. Daedalus Artemis, stares at you in shock and anger. He opens his mouth, and you see his fangs extend. A light appears in his mouth, and suddenly, Menandra's point bursts through. He was literally going to open his teeth and try to do it, and then as he opens his mouth to bite down, Menandra bursts out through the back of his head. The life fades from his eyes quickly, and you hear his swords hit the ground. Everyone just stands there for a second as Menandra slides back out and the body crumples to the ground. The blade dagger still sticking in his chest. Everyone just stands there a second looking down at the body of your foe, completely devoid of life. It's, it's dead. Jamin steps up and reaches down to pull out the dagger, but stops when you hear Draven whisper, No, burn it. They very quickly start, to start a fire. They understand. They know what happened back in their own village. We've got to burn this. We can't take chances. What if this thing comes back? We don't know. Something like this has never died on this world before. Again, Artemis runs over to Draven, who again, horribly, just holding himself together. There's nothing she can do to heal him. There's nothing at all. His body just doesn't work like that. Dandy, after a moment, her hair starts to go back to normal, and Menandra falls from her hands, and she rushes over to check on Michael, who she can find, see is alive, but very, very injured. Uh, as the tribals rush over the to check on each other, the ones that are conscious, and Tevin. Um, Draven waves at Michael and the others, and Artemis leaves him for a moment to go and use what few heals she has left to heal their wounds so that they don't die. Uh, Michael's still unconscious. The other tribals, and even Tevin, starts to come around, but Michael's injury was so bad that she can stop him from dying, but uh, he's still not conscious yet. And then, of course, returning to Draven... She kind of leans down again. She's just, her blue robe's just slathered in blood at this point because he's just like a freaking fountain. And uh, she's crying and he's, and he's trying to like, you know, it's okay. You know, we just say when you're going to die, right? It's okay. And he says, we're not done yet. Everyone looks confused. And he kind of moves his head and points behind them. And they look back and they see that portal still getting bigger. 
Once created, that spell will go until it's canceled, until it's closed. My mother could open and create portals just like that. And that was not my gift. But she did teach me how to close them. Her power was to open them. Closing them, it's within my ability to do. There's only one problem. That portal can only be closed from the other side. Now again, as we mentioned, Draven is barely alive at this point. His ungodly Wolverine-like healing factor is the only thing that's keeping him from dropping over dead. Artemis is like, you won't be able to do it. On that world, you don't have that. You go back to basically being a lot more... They're still strong with regen set, but not like they do here. Like I said, this world has boosted both of he and Daedalus. If he goes back there, he'll die. But of course, on that world, he might be able to be healed. So you wanted them to lose half of their numbers and a main character. Remember, everything that I do is good for the story. Be patient. Let me finish. Draven is the only one who can stop this portal, and he has to go through. But on that world, he'll die almost immediately, so we won't have the ability to do that. But Artemis, she has very few spells left, but she might be able to help. No, I didn't say that at all either. Let's not be crazy. Artemis says, I shall take you. And Draven's like, no way in hell am I letting you come through there. It's not going to happen. And Artemis begins to argue why she has to and why it's important to close the portal when she's erupted, interrupted once again by a young voice. And Tevin says, I will take him. Hello. Kitty, got a kitty in my face here. You see him looking at me? He's got full spells again. Side effect of being divine intervention. He passed out, but he still has his one or two little healing spells. It's not a lot, but it might be enough to keep Draven alive till he can close the portal, at least. At that, he doesn't have enough. With the wounds he has, Tevin is not strong enough to save Draven's life. Let me clear that out right now. Does not have the ability to do that. His spells are just not powerful enough. Artemis might. Maybe. But she, most of her spells are gone as well. All of her big ones are. She had a couple little ones left. She's not much at this point magically more powerful than Tevin. And of course, they, they immediately are like arguing, like, no, you can't do it. Your kid and this and that. You can't go through. Tevin raises his hand, silencing everybody. And really, like, like he's a kid, but he raises his hand in a way that everybody shuts up, like with just a wave of like confidence. And he looks like, no, pricks, I'm saying this. He says, I have no choice. It's my destiny to take him. There will come a day when Draven must walk into darkness, but he will not have the strength to walk alone. You, Tevin, must be the shoulder that he leans on. That was the last thing she said to me. That was the last prophecy she made. She told me that when she sent me, and I didn't know what that meant till now. 
he's going into the darkest place he possibly can. When he gets there, he's not going to have long to live. I can keep him alive long enough to close the portal and save everyone in the rest of our tribe, save the world. I, I, I can't turn that down. I have to do that. And Draven, even Draven's like, if you come to my world, you understand your food. If you come there, I'll be gone. And you'll be there yourself. With no heals left, because you're going to blow your one on me. I made it a little bit more regal. I didn't have this written down. He says, if you do that, you know, you're dead. And he goes, he goes, I know the path. And for my people, I willingly take it. This is what has to happen. This is what was foretold. This is what ended up what's deciding to be happening. They help Draven stand. They basically get uh, Tevin's staff and Draven's on that. But he's literally having to lean. Tevin's basically carrying him halfway. Which he's, he's a young guy, but he's pretty good shape. He's a kid, but he's doing it. They're getting ready to head out and... Uh, Jaren comes over and basically shakes his hand, puts his hand on his shoulder, and um, wishes him well, Tevin Lightbringer. And Tevin smiles, even though he's crying. Because as I mentioned earlier, he'd not yet had a naming ceremony. And a naming ceremony for the tribals is something you have to earn. Tevin Lightbringer... And they basically say, is a name that will, will be told for generations. Kind of like, you, you, our people will know of your sacrifice and what you do today. Michael's still unconscious, but Dandy comes over and says goodbye and wishes she could, she's all crying, wishes she could, she could help, but there's nothing she can do. And then Draven and Artemis have a moment. And he says, I'm sorry we didn't have more time. I'm sorry I can't be there to help you. But please know that the happiest moments of my life were spent with you. They kiss you goodbye again. She's crying. Dandy's crying. Everybody's crying. And then leaning in, leaning once again on Tevin and his staff, Tevin nods and says, thank you to Artemis. And they walk through the portal, which at this point has grown pretty big. You can't see much through it. You can see like a like water, like you can see like maybe a town in the distance and a mountain and the moon and the sky's a reddish color and but it's all like looking through water that's being rained on kind of thing. As they get through, you can only as they walk through, it's like they're walking in water around them kind of thing. And they can no longer see them. The thing is more swirly now as they've walked through, like it's being activated as such. But after about a moment, the portal starts to shrink and fade. And after another moment, the portal closes. Artemis will feel a sh Artemis feels a sharp sting and a wetness on her chest. And opening her robe and looking, she sees the teardrop blood tattoo that was created by his pendant has now blood once more as it drips down into her robes. Everything's dead, <laughs> except for the people that survived. They lost one of the tribals who they carry out. They put them in the chest of holding. Um, Michael finally wakes up and finds out what happened, and he's not happy with the situation. He's incredibly not happy to find out that Dandy merged with Menander because now he knows Dandy knows about what he goes through each time, and that's a conversation you can be sure they're going to have. 
but slowly they gather what they can. They do. They did light him on fire, by the way. He's burning. The Daedalus's body is almost gone. And as they kick through the ashes of it, spreading it some, because the fire's you know gone. There's no semblance of the crystal dagger. It's gone as well. They do get the sunstone back though. Um, yes. Uh, one last thing. We're about done here. So they they manage to crawl their way down, you know, work their way down out of the place. There's nothing else inside that can fight them. Um, they did find a little bit of magical loot in that room. Nothing of importance to mention. It's an it's an adventure, so I have to do that. Um, and as they they make their way out outside, it's dark out, and they're kind of in the moonlight. And it's bright, but there's nothing out there threatening the dragony thing. There's no sign of that. And they make their way down the cliffs and such, down the actual walkway. They're not worrying about traps at this point. And they reach the bottom of the stairs, and, you know, they've lost their friend, their ally. A couple of them. Tevin's gone, plus one of the, one of the tribals is gone. And they look up, and they see uh, the tower starting to crumble a little bit from the magic spells and such. It's starting to crack and starting to fall a little bit piece by piece. It's not going in a big explosion, but it's starting to. It's the magic that held it together. And they start working their way down. <clears throat> Dandy, you know, holds Artemis's hands for a minute. Artemis gives her a weak smile. Um, but then she goes over and has to help support Michael because he's still pretty injured. And as Autumn, Artemis is walking down the last steps to catch up to everybody else, looking up at the cracking of the tower, cool wind blows. She can't help but huddle into her robes, which are still soaked with the blood of the man she loves. Put her hands in her pocket, and inside she feels something. Taking it out, she feels a piece of cloth or leather, very thick, folded up. It looks really, really old. Really old. On the outside of it are bloody fingerprints. She can feel something hard inside the leather. And she unwraps it. And she can see, written on this parchment, are three lines. And they're written very long time ago. And inside the packet is not one, but two of the teardrop pendants that Draven can make. And written on the parchment, it says, For the last of your line shall be a great king. He shall be a child of destiny, and only the blood of his kin can destroy him. And Artemis realizes she's pregnant. And that's where we're going to end for today. Ran a little long. Ooh, 30 minutes long today. This is a long one today. But we were right at the cusp of that. I didn't want to stop halfway through that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't say that I'm not occasionally predictable. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that was that had been planned for a while. Oddly enough, the young lady who played that character didn't talk to me for almost a week, week and a half after that. Um, 
she like literally cried a whole bunch over that. It's the most effect I ever had on somebody writing, and that was kind of cool. Um, kidney stones? Oh yeah, Draven kidney stone. I've got a bunch of those. Uh, but no, no, so now they have to basically make their way back <laughs> through Darkmoor, dropping off the artifact. That'll be a conversation. Um, but yes, Artemis is the first character to have children. Yes, I know, Katie. You want treats. So, yes. Um, wouldn't either? Oh, come on now. Again, you have to admit, that was great for the story. The sacrifice that the last of his line will be the last of his line. I, you're right, but the pregnancy was surprised. Okay, excellent. So I was hoping some people wouldn't get all, it wouldn't be too obvious. I tried to make it slightly not obvious. I figured some people would pick up on it. Um, oh, thought it was self him being alive. No, the last of his line will be the great. So they said they, they misunderstood the prophecy. But, you know, it is, but still. Yeah, they hate it when I say it's good for the story. Because that means it's not always good for them. But it's good for the story. And so, you know, that's how I roll. But... Um, next Sunday will be our third week in a row of Merged Worlds, and we will be bouncing back to another group, Miss Mercy and Mr. Darsh, to see what's going on in their world, and to finish their part of the story. So this is kind of how I did it. I did Darsh and Mercy, all of Artemis, back to the rest of Darsh and Mercy. So that's kind of how I split the group there. Uh, but this whole thing took months of playing to get it all done. Uh, when we do another video, Sky Factory, that will be tomorrow. So our next stream is tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back in Sky Factory continuing our um, Project E playthrough, which is lots of fun. Having a good time with that, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and... I think that's going to do it for today. Again, thank you all so much for coming by. Uh, we definitely have more people hanging out than we used to. Um, and I've seen newer people have been subbing and liking and following on iTunes and Spotify. So I do really, really appreciate that interaction. Again, this is, I say it all the time, this is one of my favorite things I get to do on the channel. So having the ability to share this and put it before more eyes means a lot to me. Uh, so I thank you very much, all of you, for giving me that opportunity. Uh, you can tell all the stories you like, but if no one's listening, what does it matter, right? Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Can I ask a question for Sky Factory? Yeah, feel free to throw it at me, Clover. I got a minute. And Terry says, about 180 to go till 10K. That's correct. We are less than 200 subs away from 10,000 subscribers on this channel. That's pretty boss. Uh, I was hoping to hit it by the end of the year. We'll probably hit it at the rate we're going by the end of the first week of December. So, pretty excited for that. Very cool. Still not sure what we're going to do for it. But I'm going to try to do something exciting. I'd hoped to have 10K by the end of the year. Yeah, that was that was my my goal. But uh, that was what I guessed back in June when things were going well. But uh, I was hoping that, you know, hitting it in December, early December, even better. Uh, how big is the area a hydrogel covers keeping soil wet? Uh, is the hydrogel the mystical agriculture one? Because if so, it's directly above it. It, o it only does directly above it. I don't think it goes anywhere else. Um, hydrogel. I don't think I've used that in forever. So I prefer sprinklers. I, I just use those because they're easier and they're cumulative. I may be wrong about that. I may be thinking of something else. 
It's not mystical? Okay. There's a, there's a thing in mystical that helps growing as well. Um, I don't think I remember. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure, but I'd be happy to look into it tomorrow. We can jump in on stream, build one, and see what it does. The growth pulses are mystical. Okay. I knew there was something that was mystical. Yes, I know you're hungry for treats. You'll be okay. <laughs> put those under the dirt. Yeah, that's the one you put under the dirt. That's the one I was thinking of. I don't remember hydrogel specifically because I don't use them. Uh, but the next stream will be tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Project E Sky Factory. So we'll get a chance to look at We'll figure it out for you. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern would be the next one. Uh, all right. So... Uh, growth crystals will also work. You can use some of the higher tier growth crystals. Those count as water as well. All right, I'm going to call that a day, everybody. Uh, thank you all very much for coming by again and listening to me ramble on about these characters. I appreciate it. Special thank you, as always, to my members. Again, you folks in the membership program allow me to be able to do a lot of this type of stuff. So, again, it means the world to me that you participate that. And an extra special thank you to my moderators for all of the help that they give. So... Let's go ahead and call that a day again. Thank you all so very much. And we will see you all very, very soon uh, tomorrow night. <laughs> Have a great day.